Hey, this is Jake from the Back to Back Films podcast. I'm just letting you guys know that I had to work late for this past episode, and I ended up coming in about an hour into the episode. And when I came in, I was in such a rush that I accidentally recorded off of my laptop mic instead of my fancy mic that I have. So the audio is a little bit tinny on my end, um, but Byron and Keith sound super good, as they usually do. Um, also, I had some Wi-Fi connection problems, so our FaceTime chat kept going in and out. It's still listenable, but I just wanted to let you guys know in case you're like, hey, where did Jake go? Where did where did my favorite person on the podcast go? Where did the savior of the podcast go? The answer is he was just in and out. That's the answer. So yeah, enjoy the episode. Thanks, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of the Back to Back Films Podcast. This week we're covering Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, finishing up our Masterclass series on Tarantino. As always, in order to have the best discussion possible, we recommend that you watch the two films we'll be discussing before listening to the episode because of potential spoilers. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And Jacob is going to join us a little bit later. Uh, This episode is going to be slightly different where Byron and I are kind of going to kick it off, and then Jacob, who's kind of caught up with work and trying to get home um will pop in at some point and so he says so he says yeah exactly <laughs> and uh we'll probably i don't know take a break or there'll be some sort of like split um which will be pretty obvious and when he pops in so yeah and i don't know when or where we'll be at when he pops <laughs> in so it'll be <laughs> random and fun in a very heated debate <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think you and i agree on movies too much yeah especially to be... tarantino yeah so yeah. like yeah he's gonna be like all oh, the two tarantino bros talking about <laughs> jaco and chained and the angel <laughs> oh my god the angel yeah dude, see, this does, that doesn't count because well actually we have to decide that now if we're gonna bring that up with him or not oh man i wonder Let's not bring Let's it up. Not bring Let's it up. see okay. if he brings it up. Okay, okay. Because like, Sweet. this would have been interesting if it was the one episode where we didn't we even don't say talk anything about, about it. it. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure he will. Because like, <laughs> uh, it's Jacob. <laughs> um, so yeah, man. So uh, it's this. It's been a while since we've actually been able to record like a full episode. Um, it's been a while since you've recorded. Yeah. Because Jacob and I yeah. recorded the mini one, um, and that was like. What, two weeks ago? It was right before I went to California. Man, it, it's, it's, it seems like it definitely seems a long time since I've been at, uh, behind the microphone for sure. But the time is going by quick yeah. at the same time. So I it's know. like, I don't know, it's, it's weird. And it's been weird, like, just not being able to record like yeah it became so <laughs> habitual like okay it's thursday yeah we're like, record, like yeah you know, whatever like it was just our normal routine and it sucked too because like i kind of feel like i've been slacking on movies me too since we haven't been doing so, it. no dude I, I have watched i think maybe one film in the last two weeks which oh, is weird same like same here, i think i've watched some tv show tv episodes but yeah i haven't like actually sat down and like really watched a movie i did see wonder woman so I guess two movies, okay, like that. But that's 
that doesn't really count because like I went out and saw yeah. that. Like yeah, but like at home, just like right. watching something. Yeah, yeah. No, the last thing I watched was Your Next, and then oh, okay. watched uh, Zatoichi right before we left. But oh, sweet. in California, I basically didn't watch like anything. Yeah, like, one movie. So, <laughs> uh, we were kind of just busy. Um, and then for like the mini episode, we just watched two Pixar shorts. Oh, cool. So it wasn't sweet. even like a full you know movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, let me move this real quick. Uh, but yeah, so basically, we're just gonna plow through um but beforehand you know since it's been a while have you been working on anything gosh i mean not really like i want to say i've been more productive when it comes to film stuff than i have (laughs) but i really haven't there's a possible thing in the works but it's going to probably take a little while to get off the ground or anything it's Um, always how it is yeah but yeah i mean trying to think it seems like there's something but there really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> you did like a photography or like a, a shoot with a car or something, Oh, that's right? right. Yeah. So we did like a, my buddy's dad was really into cars back in the 70s. And uh-huh. him and his car friends had this photo of their them and their cars all put together. Um, and for his birthday, um, my for my friend's dad's birthday my friend and his sister wanted to like recreate that photo but with my friend's cars and his friends um so we kind of recreated that photo and it turned out really well it turned out way more similar to the original than i was expecting nice so that was yeah we did that and then this weekend i'm doing some photos for a wedding i'm like second photographer okay and i'm just helping it out uh, a co-worker i i don't know i it's something i wouldn't normally probably do just because i get uncomfortable in like not knowing what like any of the people at the wedding and then like yeah, right. taking photo like it's like too much pressure in a way for me like you know yeah, especially as a photographer <laughs> and especially at a wedding you're the guy who's got to be like okay get together like yeah gotta take this photo and then you, you don't know him you're just like there it is yeah that's gonna be tough so i'm just like the second guy just like just shooting like the candids and stuff like that so i got that but yeah man i would yeah not not like anything cool i know (laughs) i feel the same like i feel like i've been slacking like all my projects have kind of slowed down grind to a halt i'm trying i'm in the process of trying to get some more equipment so like that's gonna really help spur things again yeah yeah um really i'm probably gonna pick up a drone here oh right on like really soon um yeah so like it's interesting that you said that you were trying to recreate photos though because actually when i was in california i was doing some portraits um from a family and uh they got married at this park down there and we basically tried to like we did family photos with them at the same park and then kind of tried to do a sort of recreation oh, cool. of, like, their wedding photo oh, they got. sweet. With, like, the same stuff in the background. So that was kind of interesting. And I, it, it didn't turn out exactly the same because, like, you know, trees grow. Right, and it's yeah. been, like, 15 years since. But it's so. kind of cool, though. Like, if you know, 15 yeah. years later and then, like, yeah. it's the same backdrop. But just, you know, mm-hmm. you can see the change. That's and you can cool. see their kids because their kids are, like, you know, and their oldest one's, like, 15 or 16 yeah, now. Dang. So it's, like, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, that was fun. I did portraits for two two family two of my families down there oh sweet um, yeah so that's cool and then uh yeah i'm just planning a commercial i got a meeting tomorrow oh, right on uh i'm trying to make a commercial for my company sweet so, yeah that's oh, about man. nothing like narrative 
you know, the documentary I was kind of working on has kind of slowed down a bit. Um, I haven't had a chance to like meet with the production team yeah. at all. I've, it's been a while, so kind of unfortunate. Kind of like feels lame when you're not right. yeah, doing yeah. the film stuff, you know, <laughs> for sure. Like, I, actually, I'm kind, I kind of lie. I guess it, it's been weird, but I've been doing that Civil War documentary. Oh, thing. okay. So we've been slowly doing that uh, a doing little a bit. Documentary on the Civil War. Yeah, like this guy, he, he like remembered us when we were really little kids that when we were really into the civil war and and he like ran into my mom and he said do your do you kids your kids still like the civil war stuff and he's like they're like oh yeah she yeah they are but they uh they're doing like film now and then he's like oh and he was been working on this like little documentary civil war documentary about a relative of his and it's like his great great grandfather or something like that and so like we've been helping him out on that he's just paying us to like basically like edit all yeah, of his nice. stuff so he's just been like online collecting footage and um stuff and we have to like edit the narration and he hired like a local band with the cool like old time oh, like, nice. music and stuff like that so we've just been putting it together but it's just different because everything he he's already he's already edited everything in his head and he has everything lined up like time wise and stuff so basically we just look at his timeline put the footage in where he wants it and how long he wants it and then we put the narration together but it's been tricky because um, there are things that he doesn't quite know when it comes to filmmaking, right? right. So, like when, like you know, he he wanted a this one particular shot a certain length, but then he wanted it in half time. He wanted it slowed down. Which when you put it in slow, when you slow it down half, half you know fifty by fifty percent, then it actually expands it by fifty percent. Right, exactly. And it's he, not the same time. Yeah. Frame, so then yeah. he's like, "Well, why is it so short?" But I'm like, "Well, you wanted it seven seconds, but when you slow it down, it makes it." 50% larger. Right. So you're not going to see the whole cut. You know, you're not going to yeah. see the train go all the way. It cuts after the first two cars or whatever. And he's right. like, oh, well, then just leave it. Just leave it uh, regular speed then. You know, stuff like that. Or it's like, we would just do what he said. And then we'd say, so. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, and there's been some issues because, like, audio and stuff hasn't quite aligned of course correctly. Not, of but course, it's impressive because right. he doesn't know anything about like editing the editing process but that he's been doing this in his head without actually seeing the image and the audio combined is quite impressive that's really cool yeah that's really cool so it's it's interesting it's not again anything like a a passion project or anything like that that's kind of maybe kind of why i've kind of forgot (laughs) it's just work yeah no i mean it's what it is right you get paid to do stuff yeah you're not necessarily into what you're doing yeah gotta make ends meet somehow i think this might be the first thing that i'm actually getting paid for though like like nice uh, and it's just a fluke thing like you know that's how it is like, yeah i got <laughs> i was editing a documentary uh for a little bit and i met the guy through another guy like yeah. it was just stance, <laughs> you know so um <clears throat> that's how shit happens until you kind of like get your name out yeah. there you know gotta gotta do the hustle <laughs> i think editing documentaries is super interesting though because like i didn't get to the point where i could cut where i was cutting their b-roll because they kind of like went, wanted to go in a different yeah. direction so they'd like you know i wasn't editing the direction they wanted to go and uh basically i only had a chance to like kind of cut together like the narration but even then that is like kind of fun because like it's really interesting what you can get people to say like people will say things right and especially like people who are not <laughs> familiar with being on camera they'll kind of like 
I don't know the way their mind works when they're trying to piece together ideas. Oh, like you, it's how how much you can cut out of someone's idea but still maintain their idea is really interesting. But also how much you can like kind of manipulate what they say is interesting too. Interesting. Like like you can change so much about, and that's why documentaries get a lot of flack and why like just because it's a documentary does not mean you should think it's the truth because. I can spin what someone says any way I want, basically. Right, yeah. Like, they could be totally against, like, Nazism, but I could 100% make them yeah. sound like they're into Nazism <laughs> by editing, you know? Like, and news news interviews do this all the time. Like, you'll notice, like, uh, when when you're watching, like, a news interview, when they cut to, like, the interviewer, like, they're trying to do a reaction shot, but they're also most of the time they're like also editing the line and yeah. instead of having a jump cut they do an e- they do a jump to the near that the interviewer that's why they have two cameras yeah and they'll do things where they're like maybe they'll fill in the gap with like a small breath so it sounds like the person's it's talking in one line so but they're not but like they could be they could be pulling one line from the beginning of the clip and one line from the end smash them together and it sounds yeah, like it sounds, it sounds like one sentence yeah. or a thought you know so it's like really interesting how you can like manipulate that and i think the people I was working with, they weren't necessarily like, well, one was kind of, she was a producer, so she's more along the lines of film, but the main individual, he was not like a filmmaker, so yeah. he didn't necessarily know. <laughs> like, he wanted to maintain the integrity of what they were saying instead of cutting it for a documentary, which, like, I was trying to do both. Where right. I, was like, I wasn't manipulating what they were saying. I was just cutting out a lot of excess yeah stuff, you, you know, wanted like, to get to the meat yeah but, exactly but you're not you're not warping or manipulating what they're actually right, saying exactly. you're, you're trying to get to the core of it right like keeping that and the integrity of what they're saying alive but also yeah. cutting out what's not needed exactly. so that you can get to the point faster and move on to the next exactly part like in documentaries usually you have too much footage you know yeah. so you're trying to just piece together all the little bits see now that's something that when i doing this i'm not liking i don't like I don't like to. De- I honestly don't like dealing with all a whole bunch of footage. Like you know, like yeah. it's like <laughs> like and then going through it. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I haven't really done any documentary sort of stuff before because I just know that it's overwhelming for me. And I think it's actually something that my brother Nick is better at than I am for sure. That he's he's got like, you know, he'll watch like a twenty minute clip, right? And then he'll go, okay, we need this is what we need. This part, this part, this part. And I'm like, no, let's let like let's let, let's watch it again. You know, like, yeah. I, like my brain can only take in so much right. information uh, at once f- for me to be able to like, okay, no, we can't use that part. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't. It's weird. I I couldn't imagine doing what you did with like the editing and like that's crazy. I I don't think I'd be good at that at all. I had to. I mean, I I went in. It's not like what your scenario where the guy had it all planned out. It's like they had a cut. They had yeah. someone else do a cut. So I had watched that. But then they had, like, <clears throat> however many hours of footage, which I went Holy through crap. from beginning to end, however many hours it was, yeah. you know, 20 or whatever hours it was. Jesus. And uh, I literally watched, <laughs> like, all the footage that they had, and I made notes. Like, they had their notes and their markers, but I made my own notes. Yeah. And, like, I thought this line was good. I thought this line was good. Um, you know, and kind of wrote an idea of, like, I wrote the timestamp, and then I wrote this is the idea of the line, basically. Yeah. And then when I was going through piecing it together, I was just, like, trying to build, like, the narrative. Because, like, the thing with the documentary is you're trying to build a narrative around a problem, right? The documentaries always address a problem. Well, this in this case, 
they didn't necessarily have a problem um, <laughs> that they were in the in the direction there wasn't they weren't directing and because it was a bunch of poets and writers and like they were basically saying like what's like the story like I don't know it was different for each person there was no yeah. direction necessarily where like in a documentary you're always saying like. I'm addressing this problem of abortion. What is abortion? Right. Who is for and against it? Um, and then where do we kind of land on it? You know, and maybe you don't get to that part, but either way, you're, you're the problem is that there's abortion, and then there's people who don't like it, and people who like it, people who um, are reasons why it's good, reasons why it's bad, stuff like that. Um, I think like there was a documentary that actually came out of Fairhaven at Western called undefeated or the documentary didn't, but the filmmaker, the director who made undefeated came out of Fairhaven. And like the problem with that was like, there was a school who was like really underfunded, but the team, but the coach put together this team of like really good athletes and they made it farther than they ever did in uh, high school football or whatever. Um, And that was the main problem was how do we get these, these kids, to a point where they can compete with schools that have so much money right. for all their, you know, they have like new jerseys every year and they can buy the best players and all that stuff. So like, you know, there's problems, right? Well, like this one didn't necessarily have a problem. So I was trying to construct the problem. Like they were trying to, like the poets and, and writers that they were talking to were all talking about the Pacific Northwest region and the environment and like how things are being affected and talking about oh, okay. environment and culture through their writing and how that's being affected by, climate change and like um <clears throat> you know appropriation and stuff like that so i was trying to construct the problem for them basically that's tough and, like, it's i really can't tough. imagine doing that yeah because i think that would drive me insane just be like okay like because you because for me I'm, I'm, i'd be looking for something so particular yeah to really try and get that point across that i'd be it just drive me crazy like oh okay i need that guy to say this you know but you can't you don't have any control over it because right. it's a documentary you're they, just filming them talk exactly they said it in one way so that was why i kind of found it interesting though to like i need him to say this and he gets kind of close but if i kind of like <laughs> cut this part and add this line it's closer wow you know what i mean yeah like, yeah and I found it kind of fun. Like, I don't know. Sometimes editing for me is not like the most enjoyable part of filmmaking. Yeah. I enjoy being on set. I enjoy directing more right. than anything. But you got to edit and you got to get your film to the end. So, yeah. like, it was a good ex- it was a good experience to be someone who, like, I had an interest in what was talking, being talked about, but I didn't care necessarily. Right, right, right. So, it was like, I was, you know, <laughs> I didn't have any trouble just saying that that piece is on the editing yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. we're not using that you there's, know? No, like, there's no attachment there yeah exactly yeah. and like i had all these ideas and like they were all ideas that are filmmaking based and like you know they get shot down and, and it, ideas change and yeah. you, you know when you're working with people like that so that was a cool experience though and I, I would definitely be down to edit that's why i kind of wanted to make my own documentary too because i'm definitely down to edit more oh cool yeah documentary definitely um, something different and just gives you another skill set yeah and that you could even use for narrative filmmaking mm-hmm. like too which is cool. and like editing for documentary is so weird because like i don't know like you can you have traditional setup sometimes right like you know you're doing a tra- traditional kind of like back and forth maybe during an interview or like you have certain camera angles that are typical of like a narrative film but like the way you edit a documentary is pretty different than how you would edit a, a narrative film, especially like in the classical structure of editing, where it's like wide, medium, close up at the climax, yeah. back to wide <laughs> type of thing. And like 
There's a show I love. Um, it's Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown on <laughs> CNN. <laughs> the editing for that show is so good. And it's just a documentary travel. It's yeah. like a documentary travel food show all about like food around the world and traveling and whatever. And it's like the show is so well made. The cinematography is great. But the editing is so on point. Like I, it's it's fascinating. That's, that, like. The images are great, but it's the editing that I know is hooking people to watching wow, this stuff. Wow. Like, and Gosh. just seeing that, I'm like, dude, like the things you can do for editing, like this weird like flow you can get, and, like, <laughs> this beat and this music you can make with editing, like it's it's so so interesting. And, and it's like, cool because that's important now, especially with how our generation is communicating with images. And yeah, stuff, you know. So like, exactly. I think that's you know when you're starting to see these. Um, you know, even Instagram, Snapchat videos or, or clips that are edited, yep. you know, um, and stuff. It, it is important. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I'm, and I'm sure we're going to be touching up on all these topics again. Yeah, like, well, we're <laughs> going to talk about documentaries specifically, and I'm super stoked for that. And actually, the editing thing is really interesting, too, because it kind of leads us into Django, because Sweet. Django was, um, has a different had a different editor than all of Tarantino's yeah. films previous. So like when it comes to editing, you know, what we were saying like with editing, it's more than more than just cutting two images together. It's like you're doing a lot of things. You're cutting two images together to make an idea, but you're also creating like a flow for a scene. You're also putting a bunch of scenes together and you're trying to like make a film. But like, you know, I think one thing that we really noticed and we've kind of touched on this with old with the other films, especially with like Sally Manx like especially like Kill Bill I think where her editing really shined was like oh yeah she has this way of like her flows and her beats and the way you can kind of like almost like dance with her editing you yeah, know what totally. I mean it's like yeah. you get this like it's such a weird like a good editing is not just that you don't notice it it's that it takes you and like makes you dance with it almost a little yeah, bit you know? yeah like it it elevates the material yeah, like I don't exactly. like it, it's, a, it's a weird super broad way to say it but that's <laughs> it's like a rope where there was no editing so like the flow was in the movement of the actors and the movement of the camera but like there's something really special about a cut that's like different yeah and you know like your, your brain sees it as like a it, that's why they call it a beat because your brain sees it as like a shift a beat a mm -hmm. musical beat a thump a thump a thump yeah. a thump yep. you know like like i think drums are like the perfect thing to edit to because it's like you can always hear the bass you can hear the snare you can hear the cymbals everything can be edited to because there's always like a, a hit you know a hit that you can feel or like a really hard guitar strum or something you know like those are the yeah because your beats. brain recognizes right. it and exactly. it, it's not because like it's some of those weird cuts where like that's cut you know there's silence mm -hmm. uh where it's just like it cuts and your brain actually has to kind of like okay yeah like we're here now mm -hmm. whereas if it's just like if you added like a symbol or something in there it's like okay yep. that's like a transition i don't know that's why i knew you'll notice like if you're really paying attention to editing like you'll have like i don't know they'll like do a they'll do an edit well there'll be like a sound like a boom or like a a high-pitched sound or something yeah. where like it won't just be a cut. It'll be something that, that like, really, like, hits a beat. Yeah. That makes a beat, yeah. or essentially, basically. And, like, you know, it's, uh, I don't know how to really explain it. You kind of just have to pay attention to, like, what films are edited. It's, like, sounds that are added that are not in the film, but just help just establish the beat as you're going. Because, like, how do you switch? Like, the other trick to editing, too, is how do you go from scene to scene? You know, you got to create a flow through one scene, but you have to create a flow from scene to scene. Right. So how do you do that, too? Like, 
Editing is a weird well, I mean, I think, skill, man. I think that's what is so interesting about Django for me is that it does feel quite a bit different because totally different. the pacing is... Uh, each of his films are different pacing-wise, but but the, the beat... I don't know. God, that's that's tough. Like, you can tell that there's the... the, the <sighs> The way it, the beats of Inglorious Bastards and Kill Bill are are way, way, way more similar yeah. than they are to Django. And to be honest, of course, I love Django, but I think I would have liked it more if Sally was on it. Edited it like it would have been different, dude. It was so different because I think I don't know. But I, however, one of the reasons why I like watching Django is because it has a little bit more breathing room yeah than some of his other films and i feel like that works for the kind of western spaghetti western southern thing that he was going for yeah um with some of the longer takes and stuff i don't know Definitely, (laughs) definitely i definitely agree and like it's like trying to listen to like you know, classic rock or heavy metal or pop versus rap or like blues or yeah. country or something. It's like trying to compare two completely different styles of music. Like Sally Mink was a composer of one type of music right. and um, uh, Fred uh, Raskin um, was is a composer of a completely different style of music. Yeah. They both are music, but it's like you're just it's different, you yeah. know, and like you still have the same kind of guy guiding both of them, but they still produce something different because they're different people. Right. And it's also like she was a woman and he was a man. So there's Definitely, also certain, yeah. you know, uh, perspectives that are different on where you would want to focus too. Yeah. So you, it's super noticeable, super noticeable. And then hateful eight was, uh, um, edited by Fred Raskin also. So like you can, you know, the, the vibe is similar to Django, but obviously different than the rest of it. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So the, our main topic this week is all about Tarantino's uh, foray into the Western genre with his two most recent films. Uh, we're kicking things off with Django, obviously. Uh, it was made in 2012, and the film stars Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, and Walton Goggins, among many other people. Um, obviously, I can't list them all. It was, of course, written and directed by Tarantino, shot by Robert Richardson, and production design was done by J. Michael Riva. Or Riva. <coughs> so that's also a difference, too, is um, I think this was the first film not done by David Wasco. Oh. So that was also kind of a shift. You can, uh, it's With production design, you know, it's you might not notice the intricacies of it if you don't know production design itself. Because there's the one guy that died, right? I don't he, know. The guy, the production designer, died during the post-production of this film? I didn't look. I want to say. For the production designer. I, I look. I was mainly focused on the editing with this right, one. Right, right, right. So, which is kind of unfair. Yeah. I should have looked. No, no, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, uh, cool. But yeah, so it is a different production designer. So you had two different people, two different main, uh, I guess you could say main people, like yeah. heads of departments, essentially. Um, when you get a when you get a credit like that, you are the head of that department, and your <laughs> boss is then Tarantino. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then costumes were done by Sharon Davis, which also is a different person, but he's kind of had a couple different costume people uh, throughout. Uh, it was produced by Shannon McIntosh, Michael Schamberg, James Scotch Dopel, Scotch Dopele, Scotch Dopel. I'm not sure how to say his last name. And then the wine scenes, of course. 
Uh, the film is the first one to not be edited by Sally Mank, like we said, because she died in 2010. As instead, it was edited by Fred Raskin, who is an assistant editor on on the Kill Bill film. So that's kind of how he made his way into editing this film. Was working was working as an assistant editor to Sally. So it's most likely that he met New Tarantino. He probably had a, a hand in cutting some portion of the the other films. Yeah, like yeah, at least Kill Bill. You think at least yeah, maybe in Glor- maybe probably Glorious Bastards, Bastards. Yeah, maybe even as early as Jackie Brown. Even yeah. Um, but you know, he was around, so he was brought on because he kind of, also, if you're working as an assistant editor, you're kind of understanding the style of the director too. Like someone like Tarantino is going to be very specific about keeping his style intact and and what he wants. Um, so this was Tarantino's largest budget budget to date at approximately a hundred million dollars. Django um, so yeah, so Django is a character not originally designed by Tarantino actually having been featured in Italian films and Japanese westerns, uh, Sukiyaki, Western Django, and then Django just, there's also a film just called Django. Uh, it's a <clears throat> spaghetti western. Which is awesome, by the way. I've never seen it. So <laughs> oh, it's so good. Franco Nero, man, who oh, that's right. has Franco- a cameo yes, in this right. one. <laughs> so Franco Nero is the guy in the bar that Django, uh, not in the bar, so when they first come in to meet Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, there's a guy who loses to him in the Mandingo fight. Yeah. Um, he's kind of like a French guy or whatever. Italian. Italian. Yeah, yeah, oh, he is yeah. Italian. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause, cause DiCaprio plays a French guy. Yeah. yeah. So he's Italian and he goes up to the bar and then he kind of has a, uh, uh, encounter with Django, I yeah. guess. Um, and that's, so he was Django in the spaghetti Western version back in, I saw the date for that. It was like the, the 60s. late sixties. Yeah. yeah. Like 60s or 70s. Well, it was cool. Cause he goes, What's your name? And or oh, uh, Django goes. My name is Django, spelled D G A N G O. Yeah. And then Franco Nier goes, I know. Oh yeah. And no, it's he's like, a, of course he knows because yeah, he's yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The D is silent. Yeah, the D is silent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is like I know. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, fuck, yeah, of course. That's Tarantino right there, man. <laughs> I that's, love that. That's film knowledge right there. That's... Like, I was, like, grinning from ear to ear when I saw that in theaters. So I was like, fuck, yeah, yeah. no one in this theater knows <laughs> no that. No one knows, dude. Because, like, you know, it's like, oh, man. That's awesome. That's so awesome, yeah. That's one of his more, like, better, like, quote, homages, I think. Because right. it's so overt, you yeah. know. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. The, the film took 130 days to shoot, which was his longest production say, to date. It's got to be his long longest production. A long like, time. Even, like, even for Kill Bill. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. This was, so that ends up being four and a half months-ish. Wow. That's it's a long crazy. time to be in production. And that's why it's such a big budget, too, because, like, they had to spend so much time, you know, with labor. Um, It was shot in and around California, Wyoming, and Louisiana at the National Historic Landmark Evergreen Plantation. So when he goes to meet uh when he's finding the Biddle, uh, brittle brothers uh and he meets that one guy who's really confused about why Django's on the horse and he's like you know <laughs> treat him like um he's different than all the black folk around here or yeah. whatever he, yeah you know, that guy that guy he that's the louisiana um the historic 
plantation. Don Johnson's character. Don right? Johnson, yeah. yeah, exactly. And actually, I saw that exact same freaking mansion in a show or a movie, and I cannot for the life of me. I, I spent the last couple of days trying to figure out what it was. I can't remember what it oh, was wow. in. I saw that exact same mansion because it, it's used in movies it, and stuff. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they used it for um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. I, I want to say that was filmed like a year or two right before that right i've never seen that so i don't know oh it's actually it's actually a pretty good movie i want to it had to have been in a tv show because that's like the only thing i've really watched but i don't know i, I wonder if they use it in 12 years a slave they um, might because possible. i heard that um while they were filming Django, the casting directors um for the extras mm-hmm we're like, oh yeah, you're hired, and because the guy, because the, the guys were like, oh yeah, I've played a slave in Twelve Years a Slave. I've played a slave in, um, I think they had re, they were at the time they were shoot, reshooting the the Roots again. Okay. Um. Uh. And they were also, what's the other big film that came out around that same time that dealt with uh, slavery? Oh man. I'm not sure. Oh Abraham, there was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer and. <laughs> Um, was it Lincoln itself? Oh, and Lincoln. Yeah, yeah I think it might be a Lincoln. Yeah. Might have been Lincoln or something. I don't know. Anyway, there was all these guys that had this portfolio. Should I yeah, say of, okay. of like, yeah, I was a slave in this one, a slave in this movie, and then they're like, okay, yeah. So like, there are people that are in like all those movies <laughs> that yeah, are just extras, nice. you know? Nice. Um, that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's how it works, right? You yeah. Just, you jump from movie to a movie. <laughs> yeah. You build your portfolio like that. Uh, so the, this film was shot with anamorphic lenses, which look amazing, um, with Robert Richardson's unique style of hard lighting and really pictorial kind of like fake lighting, uh, which I'll kind of get into here in a moment. Uh, so there's a lot of behind the scenes footage for this movie that I would highly recommend watching if you're interested in learning anything about film lighting. It's not often you really get to see, I mean, it's snippets, right? But it's not often you really get to see lighting setups like that that are so intricate but also so unique because of his style um you can see extensive uses of flag screens and most notably for some of the moonlight shots uh, these like huge huge 6k lights so i'm kind of going to get a little technical here for a moment but it's pretty awesome because it's really impressive how they did this so basically what they did so the scene where the KKK, they're not KKK. Yes, it's, yes, it's you're going to bring this up. Good. It's the, pre, it's the pre-KKK people. Right. I don't remember what they're called. The, yeah. But the precursor to the KKK, when those guys are running, uh, riding the horses down the hill to get Django and um, Schultz, and when Schultz lays the trap, um, it's the night scene or whatever. And basically how they lit that scene was really incredible with this extremely um, intricate lighting setup. So basically what they did is they used... I think it was two or three cranes that lifted these lighting units, probably about like 150 feet or 100 feet in the air or whatever. And each lighting unit consisted of 25 spaces or 24 spaces, each containing six 1,000 watt halogen lights. Okay, so let's 24 <laughs> individual spaces with each space containing six 1,000 watt halogen lights. Uh, so each unit, each light unit on each crane ran about 144,000 watts. Absolutely bonkers yeah. amount of light. And they're out, they're out on, they're not in a set. That's, this is on location. Yeah, you, so like, you guys have to Google those. That, that, oh, those, like, yeah. It's insane. You can like see pictures they, of yeah. it. It's freaking awesome it's looking. It's crazy. And they're made for some just gorgeous looking moonlight, you know, or whatever. Like, 
it's like one of those things like you know those those extras probably felt like fucking badasses yeah. on their horses yep. in a fucking Tarantino movie yep. with Christoph Waltz, Jamie Foxx, Don yep. Johnson, Jonah Hill all like on yep. set like because fuck. you know like those are all real people too. Yeah. That's the other thing too is they're all real people so it's like there's no CGI'd horses yeah. it's all everyone was just riding a horse. And like that's actually like when I look at lighting one of, one of my favorite styles or like looks of lighting is when it's directly overhead and it's really soft yeah. and it creates all the shadows on like the eyes under the face and like these really oh, these man, yeah. these vertical shadows. I really just love that look a lot. So like seeing this like was super awesome to see and it's just it's spectacular that the grip like the grip crew grips in general and gaffers do not get enough love in film because everything they do is like behind the behind the scenes basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> all credit to the grip crews on this one because it it was them and the gaffers and the electricians because it was them that really like made that it, they had to set it up yeah, yeah, yeah like, they had it's to set it up and you insane. can look at the wires hanging off the lights I don't like when I my old job I, I kind of got a little bit of like I learned a little bit about like different gauges of electric cord and whatnot. but the ones that they use for this I mean I doubt you could fit your hand around because there was so much energy having to be run <laughs> through these cords and they were not long enough to go up the crane so you can see like you can see these huge cords run up about halfway and then they connect into like the second set of cords that run all the way to the lights dude and it's, it's phenomenal like I it, had to have taken so long. I was gonna to say, I wonder how long it took for them to actually set everything up from I like wish, nothing there you. to final, yep. you know, like their cameras rolling. And then knowing That's that crazy. they're gonna shoot at night too is like planning all like you know you gotta plan the logistics of like having all your labor there, have all the equipment there, but then also be done setting up by this time so that we yeah. can shoot. Insane. And, well, and then the fact that with all those wires and lighting like the safety involved safety, yeah. and the fact that there's so much stunts in that scene yep. like at the end and explosion, explosions explosions huge yeah. and to be able to to like do an explosion there and not damage the lighting like yep. like every all the, the technical aspects of that whole scene is just astounding yeah if you know. really break down how many elements came together to make that scene happen it's like you said, it's pretty astounding. And, and I mean, that scene is, it's not like it's a super short scene, but it's not like it's the longest scene in the movie, yeah, you know, like, right? and I mean, it's, it's a important part in the movie. Yeah. Like it's, it, you know, and it's cool. Cause it's, has some comedy, has some serious parts, you know, but it, it's not like this huge part of the movie, you know, and it's for an only, only a hundred million dollars for this film. Exactly. Like that runs like three hours, you know, yeah. it's like, yep. <laughs> huge chunk of the budget went to that scene alone for sure uh it's really just when you it's if you're like if you don't understand like i'm not i'm not like expert in lighting but if you don't understand lighting it's like really hard to like grasp like yeah how impressive that really was you mean um, they didn't shoot that with just the, the moon yeah right <laughs> the moon has enough light right the moon produces its own light yeah. doesn't it <laughs> uh let's see so um in typical Tarantino style, the film is a genre mashup again, uh, mainly a spaghetti westerns, revenge films, black exploitation, and romance. Um, mainly spaghetti westerns and kind of black exploitation that style. Uh, the music clearly represents this with a postmodern soundtrack consisting of scored music, classic uh, western tracks, and then like you know random rap tracks. Essentially, uh, this really just eclectic style of music. 
arguably this is Tarantino's most controversial film due to its, its extremely liberal use of the N-word. <laughs> uh, Spike Lee is probably one of the more important critics of the film, although he refuses to really say much about it. I think most people like kind of quote him uh, as some uh, opponent to it, I guess. Um, basically... He could kind of boils down to him saying, this is like the main quote used, uh, I'm not going to comment on it because I'm not going to see it. Spike Lee stated, uh, American slavery was not a Sergio Leone Western. It was a Holocaust. My ancestors are slaves stolen from Africa, and I will honor them. <laughs> so if you really think about his point of view, um, he kind of sees it as this glorification of slavery. Uh, it's kind of like a fun way to to tell a, a Western story, I guess. But then you also have, clearly you have Jamie Foxx and you have Samuel L. Jackson who are proponents of this and who saw some way of retelling the slave narrative by giving some power to the slaves. You know, like, you can understand both sides of the argument, right? Like, Wherever you land, there's some understanding of why you landed there type of thing. Um, but easily, it's probably, I would say, his most controversial film just because of, like, it's so, the, the word is so used. But in an interview with him, he kind of said, like, you know, you know, like, basically proved to me that the N-word wasn't used as much as I <laughs> yeah. used it in the film back in that time. Right. And he's, you know, if you really, I bet you if you went back, like, it would be pretty common. Yeah, totally. You yeah. know, like, because there's so much about it was about, like, the race, and there were so many black people around, around so few white people, and, like, the white people were always sticking with their small groups of rich other white people. Yeah. So, like, you know, I imagine, yeah, like, when all your when all your servants and all your slaves are all black, like, you know, you're going to be saying the word a lot. So, like... He's probably not wrong in saying that oh, the word totally, was used yeah. a lot, and he was his his thing is like you know I have an obligation to tell the truth. Like obviously it's a film, so truth is relative, and you kind of fudge it. But at the same time, you are drawing from things that are true. So like yeah. you know, I don't know. I, it's hard to say. It's like I, I don't want to give an opinion too much one way or another because I don't necessarily know exactly where I stand with it. But, like, you can kind of see where Tarantino's coming from. You can see where Spike Lee's coming from. You can see where, uh, you know, opponents to the movie are coming from. Like, I mean, I guess, like, what what's kind of cool about it is, like you said, it gives power to a voice that, at least definitely in films, we haven't seen before. We haven't yeah. seen, um, you know slaves rise up against their white masters and and go on a revenge film or a revenge or a vendetta against yeah. these people because he wants to get his wife back i mean like that's an emotion that's something that no matter what color creed even sexual orientation you are you're going to relate to that you want to yeah. get your loved one back and you're going to kill the people that are that right. are keeping you down exactly. in chains uh you know from yeah you 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 know you got to do what you got to do and that part is kind of cool because we haven't seen that with the you know african american slave you know um exactly. so that part's cool and i think that's probably why jamie fox and um samuel jackson were like oh hell yeah I'll, I'll play this even if it's a bad guy you know i'll yeah. i'll play the character because these type of people existed and even though this is a fantasy film fantasy southern western whatever uh it still has truth in it that 
um, is important, I think. And I think by, I mean, like, I don't know. I think if you did just some hardcore slave film, like 12 Years a Slave, for example, you're only reaching, one, so many people. And yeah. two, you can't get everything that, like, for 12 Years a Slave, like, it's not as... It's emotional, but it's emotional in a completely different way than yeah, Django exactly. Unchained. And and you can't fault either one of those films because they're both done by one different directors, different visions. Um, you're trying to say different things. And, and they're trying to say, like... say different things. And it just so happens to take place in the in a in the same time era, but actually different worlds. Yeah. You know, right, like exactly. so I, I don't understand why people would be super critical. Um, on it because it's it's a vision it's not saying like this is the truth when it comes to like historical fact but it's it has an emotional truth you know yeah. which is I think more important I think there's just a, I think a lot of people like they grow like people like ownership of things too and like you know when you touch on someone else's ownership of something like there's a lot of people out there that feel like, well, you can't really touch this because you're not one of us. Like, right. we kind of own this now. Like, you know, like, for example, like the N-word, like, you know, if you're black, like, a lot of times in rap or, like, the gangster style, like, they'll use the word as, like, a, a not a negative term, which is, like, my buddy or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can't necessarily do that as, like, a white person because the word was, like, used as a derogatory term by white people for so long, so it's, like, hard to... Yeah, like they've grabbed ownership of it. Yeah, they've grabbed ownership of it to desensitize, to, to, to basically desensitize the word, so it doesn't have the same meaning yeah. as it did back in the day. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, I can get that. Like, you know, yeah, who's this white dude coming in, stepping on our right, toes? Right, thing? I right. get that. But like at the same time, it's like, you know, like, are we okay with saying, well, you're not Native American, so you can't tell a Native American story? It's like. You can tell the Native American story, at least I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then maybe Native American is not a good. Example. I'm talking about anything. Like, maybe right. he's Asian. I'm half Asian, so he's Asian. Like, white people could tell an Asian story if they understand Asian the story they're telling. If it's right. not like, you know, Ching Chong Ching racist yeah, Asian yeah. story, right? Like, because their perspective is different, and like the Asian story from like Ozu or Kurosawa is going to be different than. Tarantino or you know Coppola or whoever Scorsese whoever name a director white director but like it's good to have both perspectives of the story because like you're understanding well this is my understanding of your culture and maybe it's not correct but like it opens dialogue to say well let's what are the perspectives that you have that's not correct yeah and how can we change that for like your next piece of art or something you know what I mean like it's not fair to just be like you know you can't touch it because you're not one of that it's like oh yeah I don't know if we didn't want to be like you're trying to segregate you're it's like that weird thing where it's like you're you were segregated and you're against segregation but now you're going back to segregating something because you want to keep it to as your own like yeah it's like that's like yeah that's something that's can be said about so many different types of uh uh, segregation, whether it's religious or yeah or non-religious you know racial anything that happens all the time which can get pretty controversial so i think like it you said it touches i think this is again one of the reasons why django unchained is one of his most controversial films i mean it touches on things that 
people aren't necessarily wanting to discuss or if it's things that people do want to discuss it's stuff that it's kind of delicate you know yeah uh so it's interesting and and that's again i have to applaud him for being like to, to you know making the film i'm not going to give the guy like a whole bunch of credit for it but like it's cool that he's like screw it you know i'm gonna yeah. i want to i want to watch a movie that deals with you know a black yeah. guy taking out these white dudes to get his wife back you know like it's like right on like i don't know it hasn't been done before really and so like so it's cool that he did it you know like yeah, totally. he could have done anything it's quentin tarantino could have done anything also it's like it takes balls like you know he when writing this i'm sure he knew wow it's like i'm gonna get a bunch of flack you know a lot of people aren't willing to put themselves out there like that so it it, it says something about him that he's willing to put himself out there yeah. and be like screw you you know i'm yeah. telling the truth and you're afraid to talk about yeah. it and like you don't think i can talk about it that type of thing so and then like also like it's kind of cool because you know there's a lot of you know young african-american kids that are going to watch this movie that don't know who quentin tarantino is right and they're just going to see a movie starring jamie fox being a badass being a badass like and because there aren't a lot of you know films that deal with um uh you know, African American um, actors doing their thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that's what's, and again, you know, that's what's kind of cool about Black Panther coming out and stuff. And we have seen a little bit more of a a surge in in, in films that deal with, um, you know, the African American struggle in America. You know, with Selma and the new Thurgood Marshall movie, um, Hidden Figures. Uh, you know fences all these films that deal with that particular you know um part of history and or struggle so i don't know it's kind of cool and i think uh django is one of the first films to come out yeah of, of that in the last of the last you know 10 years or so yeah and like to its credit it started a dialogue regardless right you know, right like, and i think tarantino mentioned that he's like i just want people to bring up the dialogue you know like yeah. whether it's good or bad people are talking about it that's all i want <laughs> yeah. right exactly and that's pretty big you know yeah. in and of itself um yeah like and then also too i think it's pretty controversial um because it's also i think his most violent you know, um, especially the scene that comes to mind for me is obviously the Mandingo scene uh, where the two guys are fighting when they first introduce Calvin Candy. Like, that might be the most brutal and kind of, like, real violence that he has. Because his violence is so heightened it's, that it's, like, I, so not real, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, like, his first and probably his most, not probably, not his first, but his most brutal scene in a movie i think um, a part of that is like he's not in slow mo it, you know it's not shot in slow motion and it's not um there's no like music set to it from what i remember you no know? it's brutal it's just like it's sound effects like you know the sound exactly. the, the hardcore eye gouging and the m m's or the jelly beans spilling oh, on the yeah, ground yeah. and stuff like that you know it's like everything's very there the you sounds know, in and the, the space beats, yeah the sounds and the beats like we were talking about are him the punching and calvin candy kind of like you know get him 
kill him. Yeah. Like, do it. Like, la, la, la. And like, oh, yeah. And then um, the other guy, uh, shoot, what's his name? I forgot his name now. Um, Franco Nero? Franco Nero, yeah. yeah. And then he's like, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? Like, that type of thing. Um, yeah, so hold on one second. Jacob is now calling in, so. Oh, my gosh, Jacob. <laughs> It's Jacob. Whoa. <laughs> oh, your camera is all. There we go. Wait a minute. Is that better? Yeah. Get in there. So Jacob is now calling in like we said he would. Yeah. We assumed he would. We assumed he would. I'm right here. There we go. How's that? That's a lot How's better. That? Is that better? Okay. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I don't know how we're going to handle that hmm. part. We could just leave it in how it is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I, jarring, I jarringly enter uh, the the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Yes. I mean, behind the scenes of how we make it, I guess. Are you recording? Yeah, I was recording when I called you. I, I okay, assumed cool. that just in case if we wanted to use it. Cool. That's a good idea. All right. Well, then we can just continue right along. So basically... We're just talking about. We just got done talking about the controversy, how controversial this movie is in terms of its use of the N word, um, the portrayal of slavery, kind of how people have some problems with it, um, and then kind of moved on. We we're just talking about um, the Mandingo stuff, kind of the brutality of that specific scene, and how the film is kind of controversial because of its like insane, like violence. Um. <clears throat> You, you guys, I, I think we have a poor connection. Let me, uh, I'll be back in a second. Let me diagnose this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, only, I only got like half of what you said. Oh, uh, yeah. That's how we've had it too on your, yeah. Um, let's see here. But yeah, that scene is a, scene's a trip for sure. And then he has him beat his, beat the guy to death with a hammer. Yeah, oh man. The sound effects I think are what really does that scene. Yeah. Um the make that makes it so raw and uh uh yeah, I remember watching that movie. I watched it twice in theaters and then when it came out on Blu-ray, I bought that bought it and I had my my whole family watch it like my parents and stuff and uh I remember my dad just, you know, going, "Oh, you yeah. know, like like it's that scene and it's it, it, it's nauseating. Yeah, especially those, you know, when you actually see, like, the fists, like, punch in there. Like, yeah. Sw- they're, and they're all sweaty. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's you'd almost taste the the, the air that, the, you know, the room. Oh, and you, and, and yeah. also it just has those quick cuts of Jamie Foxx, like, looking on and, like, kind of disgust, but he's, he's trying to hide it, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, and it shows the bartender kind of, like, yeah. you know, disgusted. Like, yeah, it's it's... And then obviously, like the the other scene that comes to mind too is like the the dog, where he sticks the dogs on him. You know, yeah, that scene yeah. is. And it's funny because you don't really see anything, but again, you hear like the no. If you think about the... it, it's almost like well, you do see some stuff, but right. the way it plays out, not the way it's cut necessarily, but the way it plays out is kind of like almost psycho esque. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Shower scene where Definitely. it kind of just flashes and like you see the reactions and stuff like that, and it's all really quick. Uh, especially when he's remembering the scene later, when Schultz is remembering it later. Um, yeah, yeah, because those just come out at you. Quick yeah, out of nowhere. The, the loud, like 
dog noises that yep. come out. I remember in and theaters when that came out, like, whoa, I was not expecting Yeah, yeah, that, it's like a know? jump scare. Yeah. And then, like, it's contrasted with the harp being played. You yeah, know, yeah. Oh, so good. Song. So good. <laughs> <laughs> and you could just, and because of that, you could just see in Christoph Waltz's eyes, like, yeah. the rage that's burning yeah. inside him that's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And then when that, it, when that fight begins it's like fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which also plays up to the whole metaphor and allusions to calvin candy and the dentist and yeah that yeah stuff too, which oh, is also fun like so the good. dentist can't just let it go he's gotta <laughs> fight the cavity you know i love that's like a funny super funny weird overt metaphor <laughs> in his film um <laughs> And it's also, you know, like a cavity, you know, it's that it's the what's funny, too, is that, you know, <laughs> cavities are normally black surrounded by teeth that are white, <laughs> That's you true. know, and then not saying that cavities are the bad. It's like a reverse of that yeah. in the sense that the cavity is it's it's taking over that tooth because it's a bad tooth, yeah. you know, like exactly. <laughs> it's kind of cool. He's the Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's like an interesting thing. Like the dentist has to wade into Candyland, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's the de- danger zone for the dentist. Uh, oh man, yeah. Oh my god. He kind of brings his <laughs> his handy. See, that's okay. This is that's. I won't say that. He brings his handyman along, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. To kind of clean it up. Um, but yeah. So let's see. Uh, how do they pull off whooping? Oh, that's one thing too. So I wanted to this question I had because I had no idea how they pulled off doing this I wonder how they did I don't know maybe because I didn't watch too many behind the scenes I watched behind the scenes but I didn't watch anything off the blu-ray um how did they whip that guy you know the brittle guy and he's like just straight whipping him like (laughs) like how did they actually do that I I wonder I know I've thought about that too I wonder if it's it, it doesn't look CG no it doesn't at all and I, I I remember hearing or read something about how it, um, how Jamie Foxx got hit for real by accident with but when Ga- Walton Goggins, I think, or something. Somebody. When someone, they might have even cut that whipped. scene out or something. Well, he, there are scenes where they whip his back and they yeah. show that too. But. And, 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 and he actually got hit for real, like the board or something slipped off that Damn. they were using. Um, it. It reminds me of that scene too when um, Michael Fassbender is whipping. Uh, well, he makes Chiwetel for right? Uh, whip um, Lupita Nyong'o in Twelve Years a Slave. I've never, I've never seen Twelve Years a Slave. <gasps> I know. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you have to see that for that that shot alone. Yeah. You'll be so impressed with that shot, dude. It's like a three, four minute, one single take. Wow. Shot. Jeez. And you see the whip hitting like her bare back. See, and it's I, like, so well done. I know that they have, um, there's things they can put on people's back yeah. to like hide it, but I don't know. I wonder, like, I wonder if there is some sort of digital. It, for that one, there was okay. digital okay. for sure. But for the Django Unchained one, like, I'm thinking, I wonder if that guy was a stunt guy. It's so hard to say. I don't know. They yeah. do it in slow motion too. But so I, love yeah. I love that. Happen. I love that because, like, yeah, <laughs> and the sound effects too of the whip man. This perfect. I remember when I, we were watching that in theaters and people were just laughing <laughs> yeah. so hard. It's like they're like, "Fuck yeah, that guy's just getting his ass whipped." Yep. 
so <laughs> yeah we touched on lighting let's see the other uh, I guess we should bring this up too the shot of the blood on the flowers probably the most iconic shot in the movie um, hello hello oh on the cotton yeah Jacob is having technical issues right now um, but yeah the shot of the blood on the cotton um probably the most noticeable and iconic shot of the movie which kind of is a strange metaphor i think so from my understanding the way he testing testing uh the way he came about that shot was kind of on accident i can't remember the exact specifics but he kind of had this like idea and then it kind of formulated while they were shooting the movie and then it was like a last minute idea that they did uh but it's kind of an interesting little metaphor of like what's about to happen later where it's like all the bloodshed on the white figures yeah. about to happen, you know, like, cause it just seems like such a planned shot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such an interesting little like snippet too, you know, just thrown in there basically. Um, yeah. I, don't know, I just want to bring up that shot cause obviously it's uh pretty noticeable. Uh, the other thing I want to say too about this movie is that, uh, He's kind of played up as a superhero. It's kind of like Tarantino's mm-hmm. version of a superhero movie. Definitely. Because, like, the first time he's revealed, it's, like, superhero-esque. And, like, the time, you know, like, the first time you see him is sort of like he's the underdog superhero. But like, when his wife, when he finally gets to see his wife again, he's kind of like the superhero. When he's riding it on the horse, he's kind of like a superhero. Like, it's this really interesting, like... You know, these directors who make these superhero movies but aren't making superhero movies because, like, you can, you don't, they're just not out and saying, like, oh, this is, like, Drive is kind of a superhero movie, like, you know, in that sense. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, like, this superhero vibe I kind of got from the movie. It, uh, it's cool because especially that scene of that touches back, to on that German fairy tale that Christoph Waltz's character yeah, that's um, true too, yeah. uh, talks about at the beginning of the film and then in how there's that scene towards the end in the, I want to say it's a Frank Ocean song is playing and he's in, uh, Jamie Fox is on the horse and he's like mm-hmm. running pa- or they're, you know, riding the horse past that big bonfire. And he's like going through the ring of fire that's in the German, yeah. like, and then like, it's just, it, and then at that point with that song going and stuff, and it's just like, he's like a superhero, you know, in the Batmobile going out to, yep, exactly. you know, take care of what needs to get done I and mean, it's just like fuck yeah <laughs> exactly uh, another cool little nifty behind the scenes fact of this movie is that uh, so there's a scene in the dining room where Leo is doing his kind of monologue or whatever and he smacks his hand down on the table and he's like you know you put your hands up on the table and you don't move or whatever whatever unless you want to get shot uh, so he actually like broke or he actually sliced his hand open on glass in that scene and the blood you see on his hand is his actual blood and he just like stayed in character and played that scene out uh and added this weird like reality to it because like he's so committed to what he's doing that he didn't like like he's so insane like the actor Leo is like almost as insane as Candy <laughs> yeah. is because like he's just like I don't care that I'm bleeding. It's like yeah, whatever. Major you know, like, props, to, like major respect to Leo on that. I mean, huge, it's like yeah. you know, uh, I guess like the 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 reaction of um, Christoph Waltz, like 
is 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 it's genuine, genuine. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like oh shit like what yeah. the fuck that's that's not prop blood <laughs> yeah and they're all everyone's kind of wondering like are we gonna stop but yeah. like he's going so everyone kind of stays in character like and you know tarantino's yeah, loving I was, it i know i was gonna say you know tarantino's like behind the camera just going fuck yeah, yeah right? he's probably laughing like, yeah ah, it's yeah. a big big ass like smirk <laughs> on his face yeah exactly <laughs> that seems pretty awesome i really i like knowing that little fact just like because it's always kind of brought up that that's that that's what happened. Yeah. There. Um, oh no, that's one of my favorite trivia points of uh, Django is is that whole that one that, yeah. that scene. And another thing about uh, DiCaprio in this movie too is this is the first time in like 16 years or something, some crazy or 16 movies or something where uh, he didn't have first billing. Yeah, yeah. Because he plays yeah. a he actually technically plays a supporting character. Right. Uh, instead of a main character and he lost the oscar because <laughs> nom- he was nominated but he lost it to christoph waltz for this what um, a trip dude yeah i guess we're gonna lose to anyone at least, like, at least like, yeah yeah film, right right, right? Yeah. <laughs> but he did it but it's cool that dicaprio is such a good actor he doesn't deserve like a, you know a supporting actor oscar he get he deserves the uh, the actor oscar yeah. which he got you know two years later or whatever it was yeah not, revenue, not so. the actress oscar <laughs> well the inferior <laughs> oh, trophy. Oh my god. Just oh, kidding. Oh, the first thing he says. Oh my god. Here to balance it out. What a, what a controversial figure you are. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you make that my introduction to this episode? Just cut out the technical cut out the difficulties. Rest. Yes. We'll see. Just have we'll me see how it sounds that. later. <laughs> Dang, dude. Bouncing with the out. like the crappy dad joke and the, the <laughs> freaking sexism right away. <laughs> hey, you gotta start hard, you know. That's how I do. Uh, but my apologies for for coming in late. Uh, I had to work later than I thought. So, but I'm here now. Here to get here to get messy. Here to talk about uh, Tarantino. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's I'll, uh, Let's... You guys just keep going. I'll, I'll just I'll just hang out and find well, a place. Well, I kind of broke our change that we were trying to do where i was introducing both films so uh, i'm gonna introduce hateful eight right now anyway um which should be good because there was also kind of a screw up in that movie that was unintentional but was left in the movie uh we'll cover here in a little bit so yeah second film is hateful eight uh, it's made in 2015 the film stars samuel jackson kurt russell jennifer jason lee walton goggins damian bashir tim roth michael madsen bruce dern james parks and channing tatum among other people as well. Obviously, his casts are always huge. It was, of course, written and directed by Tarantino, shot by Robert Richardson, edited by Fred Raskin. Production design was done by Yohei Taneda, which, if you remember, was actually one of the production designers on Kill Bill. Uh, wow. Costumes were done by Courtney Hoffman. Uh, it was produced by Georgia C- Candice, Shannon McIntosh, and, of course, the wine scenes. As with Django, this film is also a genre mashup, this time with the Western genre and mystery films. Uh, Exterior shots were done on location and in the snow, which made for difficult conditions for the cast and crew. Um, The film was shot uh, kind of in and around Telluride, Colorado, for all the exterior stuff, and then a lot of interior stuff, like inside the cabin was done, uh, sound stages in L.A. It actually was interesting uh, Samuel, no, it was Robert Richardson. Actually, I read an interview with him, and he was saying that to kind of make the the, the studios 
stuff that shot in studio more real tarantino actually had these huge air conditioners brought in and they basically made like the studio almost as cold if not colder than like the stuff they shot at telluride to get like the real like breath and like to get everyone in the zone so he was like yeah richardson Uh, was saying like yeah it was basically like colder in there than our on the on location so cool whoa (laughs) that's That's crazy yeah it's such a crazy crazy director thing to do for sure yeah yeah. But, you know, he's trying to get his, quote, realism, I guess, you know, as real as it can be in a studio setting anyway. It's so much better than, oh, yeah, like, having sure. those movies where they put, like, the fake breaths in. Because yeah. you can tell. You can tell. You can Definitely. Tell. Yeah. Plus, I hate that. There's, like, a way I an can actor always acts. tell when it's fake. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. There's also a way an actor acts, right? Where, like, if it's warm in the studio, you're not going to look like you're cold. But if you're cold, you're right. going to Yeah, act yeah, like... yeah. Like, yeah, there's some things that you can't right. really fake. Yeah, it kind of gives them less to have to think about. You know, maybe it helps yeah. them get into character a little bit more. Exactly. It's like, you know shooting on location versus in a set like you're in you get the vibe of the place the ideas of the place and the actor has a better way uh i don't know better i don't know if better is the right word but they can get maybe more into their character mm-hmm. because everything's real you know um yeah so uh this film had its own type of controversy <laughs> uh when you know different controversy than Django uh, when the script for the movie was leaked to the public sparking a fierce reaction from Tarantino who said he wouldn't be making the film after the incident uh, but instead my was potentially going to turn it into a novel uh, so that was a pretty big deal for a little while I was pretty bummed out when that happened yeah. you know I was like oh no yeah because I guess he only gave it to like three close it was like Samuel L. Jackson Michael Madsen like Tim Roth or something yeah and, uh, and, their and, and like and, and their agents, and like right? Bruce yeah. Dern or Bruce Dern, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, who yeah. It was too. But like, I think it's definitely speculated that it was definitely like one of the agents I think or it someone came out that it was like Bruce Dern's agent. Uh, yeah, leaked it or yeah. something, or like gave it to someone else. Who, yeah. So I'm sure that agent was promptly scolded or fired or something, <laughs> you know, quietly. Um, but yeah, uh, so it turns out that you know, one way or another whatever due to Hollywood magic, Hollywood alchemy or whatever you want to call it, Tarantino decided to follow through and make the film. So we have the film. Well, it's now. cool. Cause like, I guess he changed like the ending and stuff, um, which makes me curious to see like how the original ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that script is out and about floating somewhere, but I haven't, you know, I haven't watched it. Yeah, I haven't had read a ch- it. I haven't had a chance to read either. It would also been interesting as a novel. Yeah, I wonder yeah. how that would have played out. Yeah. Uh, keep talking. Um, gosh. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> when do you ever know where to begin? I don't even uh, know. Yeah. Um... Man, I don't even know. I feel lost I without my, Keith. I don't know. My hosting was so bad. Okay. I can cut that out. It's okay. Uh, so, uh, let's see. This is a pretty special film uh, in terms of cinematography because it kind of went through a fairly special production process uh, that's pretty, especially nowadays, <laughs> is pretty uncommon. Um, so, basically... It was shot on vintage 70 millimeter Panavision 70 lenses that, uh, so when I first read this, I read that Tarantino was actually the person who came across these lenses, but I think actually 
according to Richardson himself, he was the one who actually came across these lenses. Uh, so he was kind of in Panavision's offices. Uh, he ha- he was doing some other form of testing or whatever, you know, high-level cinematographer, deal with Panavision, obviously. And he kind of just happened across these lenses, and I guess he knew about them originally and had thought that they were basically lost to time, had been destroyed or lost or whatever would happen to such lenses. Um, and he was happily surprised that they weren't. Uh, the last time they were used was actually in car- in the film Khartoum, made yeah. in 1966. 66. Yeah. So, Charlton Heston, man. 50 years later, they hadn't been used for 50 years. Incredible. It's crazy. Really? Crazy. Yeah. And so, like, this is the, like, it's, it's if you're a f- cinephile film nerd, you know, or cinematography nerd, it's kind of like a really special thing, um, you know. Lenses are more so than the camera itself. I think lenses are probably more important, you know. So like, and it kind of gives a a different vibe to the camera and the, and how the cinematographer shoots. You know, it, it kind of aids his thought process. Uh, so these lenses allowed for the film to be these lenses allowed for the film to be shot in seventy millimeter with an aspect ratio of two point seven six to one. So if you remember back. You know, in our aspect ratio episode, like, that's pretty wide and, and pretty, like, the standard is usually, like, 2.35. Uh, it's, to get a 2.76 was only really available to 70 millimeter and was actually made in, in certain films, like Ben-Hur. Uh, they kind of had some sequences where that happened. But it's an extremely uncommon uh, ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Yeah, it's like, in, like for epic. Like, epic films are shot. Exactly, like exactly. Yeah. Uh, what is so funny right now? Byron, what are you? Byron is just. I like your new name, uh, By or B Ryan. B Ryan. B Ryan. I actually, I like, I like, I like B Ryan. B Ryan's pretty good. Um, I. <laughs> sorry, I just can't help laughing because I just like look over at the screen and Jacob's like. <laughs> camera angle it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like this fucking power angle like yeah. like fuck you dominance, guys dominance i'm angle. looking down on you <laughs> he does look like a giant right now <laughs> oh my god that cracks me up <laughs> now wait oh and the call ended <laughs> the technical difficulties oh are real gosh. trying to record with three people who are not in the same room man but it's funny because like uh, it's been a while since we've done this so i know it's been yeah, a we're, while we're just a little a little out of uh a little bit out of out sync of, out of touch yeah i know <laughs> but we're getting back into it it'll become normal again um uh, so 2.76 aspect ratio. Uh, basically, these lenses were so out of date that uh, they Panavision had to go back and retrofit these lenses to fit their modern cameras. They had to redo all the mounts and stuff so that they'd fit on their uh, modern cameras, which is really cool for them to do. Yeah, no, I, that's what's kind of cool that I like. What I like about Panavision, Panavision is that is they're super open cool. to to continuing the Panavision brand. You know what I mean? They they want people to keep going to Panavision. You know, like, because, like, there, you know, like, there's there's, uh, Fuji and stuff like that where they've just, like, completely cut out 
the whole film part yep. and stuff. Whereas Panavision is like, okay, there's new technology out here. Let's use what we have, what we know, mm-hmm. further it, you know, and stuff. I don't know. It's cool. It's kind of like, I really respect Panavision for doing that because they could have easily said, oh, you know what? Those are old lenses. Uh, we're not going to, you know, make any design any new parts to fit those onto our new cameras because you know what we have better yeah newer lenses that we made specifically for these you know yep. it's like it's cool because and it's also good marketing because that's they marketed hey the hateful eight completely yeah. differently yeah. Yeah. you know exactly. when you because like, i think you saw the 70 millimeter version <laughs> I did, print. yeah so like my brother and i went right and like it it has the um it comes out with a book a, a book that they gave you when you got your ticket I didn't get one of those. Oh, you didn't get one of those? Let's see. I have it right here. Um, but it has like 70 millimeter on it. Like it, Panavision, I want to say, is like it's like part of the, the oh, that's cool. book. That's really cool. Yeah. I wish I would have gotten a book with that. Damn it. I saw kind of like the tail end of the show, like the tail end of the road show, though. So like it's possible that they didn't, they don't, they gave them all out or whatever. They just hadn't planned any for that one. Um, but the 70 millimeter version was super cool. It was like this weird theater that I was in that was like one screen theater and it had this huge auditorium and it just like, it's pretty stunning to watch it so wide with how it is. Um, so yeah, they actually retrofitted 15 of these, of those lenses to work on their modern cameras, uh, which is an insane amount of lenses to have available to you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool looking book. Oh man, it's all behind the scenes photos and stuff of them actually like. Yeah, it's kind of cool because like they. Dude, I want this book. Because they had like he, you know, uh, Tarantino said like you know back in the seventies like you would go to the theater and you'd get sometimes the big booklet you know awesome, that had dude. some things. It's kind of like vinyl, right? You know, like the vinyl records where it has all the cool liner notes and the the stuff you know um so that's kind of what he wanted to do so insane and then you get samuel jackson centerfold yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh dude it's your angel they show you how they shoot the angel oh he's not even there where'd he go <laughs> this is like the most silent dick has ever been on a podcast i know this is, this is like <laughs> you're gonna have listeners that are jacob fans that are gonna be like why is jacob what not the talking fuck? listen to this because of jacob he's not even here Dude, let's see oh yeah see i caught this in vancouver canada oh, okay cool. i saw cool it show, in though. um bellevue oh okay yeah nice but i saw it like the oh, Bellevue's not on here. first or second day which is weird that neither is seattle yeah but maybe so. it didn't come through seattle huh dude that's really cool though actually though like how much work they had to put in to shoot those exteriors is yeah. insane because of the snow and stuff. Like, God, I'm jealous, dude. This is awesome. That's super <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, yeah, they uh, back to what I was saying here. Oh, yeah, Panavision retrofitted 15 lenses. So that's a lot of lenses to have available to you. Yeah, um, holy crap. And, they, you know, if you know anything about lenses, uh, basically, like, it's 15 lenses that are, like, you know, there were no zooms in this movie, I don't think. So I don't think there were any zoom because, yeah, I don't think there was a single zoom. So they were there all. There might be the one of those. I don't. know. Maybe they did it. You know those like they did it in Django. Those the like snap zoom. The snap zoom. The, like there the might have been a, art, uh, there, what is it, the I Chinese think, style. I think there was a couple. I think there's a couple. I don't think so. But maybe not. <laughs> Shit. I don't think so. Well, I'm rewatching it tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but uh. 
so it was likely it was likely 15 lenses that were like you know each, each one was one size depending on you know from really yeah. wide to telephoto basically dude the wide oh, yeah so wide good. is awesome for sure <laughs> uh so basically oh the other thing that panavision did was uh they developed larger magazines for their film cameras so that the scenes in the film could be filmed uh for up to 16 minutes instead of the normal nine wow which is what that's because like it's a different size magazine for a, a 65 millimeter print or 70 millimeter print right so it has a different length than a, it's actually slightly shorter than nine minutes uh and then 35 is closer to like 10 minutes because of the literal physical size of the film and uh so they developed larger magazines for the film cameras so that the scenes could be filmed longer. Uh, this allowed for longer dialogue scenes, and it allowed for more characters than normal to fit into the frame, which was also what Byron was saying with, like, the wide lenses allowing the characters to kind of fit, more characters fit in the frame than normal. Uh, also with, you know, the, the two point... It's the 2.76 ratio that the lenses created that allowed for this. Uh the film also went through what is now an unusual process of not using a digital intermediate instead of instead the filmmakers opted to have the film color timed photochemically and dailies were actually shown in the 70 millimeter print which is really uncommon uh and we'll we're planning actually here in the next couple of weeks to do a digital intermediate episode what that is what color grading is color correction um, and stuff like that. So we'll go into more detail specifically of what that is. Uh, but it's basically when film was transferred into digital and then used digital processes and programs to make the film, and then you'll reprint it uh, on the back end onto film. Or nowadays, it just goes into digital or media and then is shown digitally. Uh, but it used to be you'd, it'd go onto film. It's going to be a dope episode, guys. It's going to be it out. It's going to be sweet. <laughs> I think. Uh, the, from some of the feedback we've got, people really like the more technical, and we like the more technical ones. So it'll be fun to kind of Sweet. go back to yeah, like, no, it's, yeah, <laughs> like the aspect ratio one was pretty technical. Um, so yeah, actually showing the dailies in seventy millimeter too must have been something because like to get a real feel of what the film was, you yeah. know, like that's it's crazy. Man, to be a producer on that film, to be like, is this money going to be worth it? And then see that, and like, see oh it? Yeah. fuck yeah, yeah <laughs> it's exactly. worth what the money that we are spending on this stuff. So uh, we kind of talked about the Roadshow and the 70 millimeter version. Uh, so basically one of the other notable kind of weird things about the way this film was distributed was it was cut or edited into two versions. One was for a normal theatrical release, which was a shorter cut and was not projected with the 70 millimeter film. Um, and then another was the Roadshow style showing, which was the actual 70 millimeter print and that was a longer cut. I think when people actually broke it down, it ended up being about 20 to 22 minutes longer. Uh, and that that's also including, like, an intermission. Yeah. Uh, so you'd watch about an hour and a half. It's about over three hours long, so you'd watch, you know, an hour and a half, hour 40. There's an intermission, about 10 minutes, and then you should, you'd should you look at the rest of the film. That's why halfway through the film, there's a uh, Tarantino's cameo is his voice coming in uh, to kind of reintroduce you to what's happening. Uh, be, is because of that intermission, basically, which and, was kind of which, which kind of cool because it's like when I watch it, like the intermission happens, right? There's music, blah blah. blah you know, my brother and I were just kind of hanging out, and then it starts, and then you know, you, you hear Tarantino's voice, and he goes like, 
we left off at yeah. or something, you know, and I'm like, oh, cool, Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> you got to fit himself, yeah. fit himself in there somehow, right? Uh, so, yeah, the, the 70 millimeter was kind of a trip because, like, the roadshow version, like, required, like, you have to have... Like you have a projectionist, right? But then you have people like not your your usual run of the mill projectionist is not going to know how to fit a seventy millimeter <laughs> yeah. projection. Like it's a specialized position that you need and specialized experience that you need. So like you know a lot of these like older like more experienced projectionists kind of had to be hired on to like run these things. But also these some of these theaters had to be refitted for like 70 millimeter showing. There were some theaters that were kind of already fitted for it, but like it still took like a lot of money and a lot of yeah. work to get these theaters up to snuff. That's why there was only a select few for the roadshow uh, where you could actually watch this. So it was pretty special to actually watch it in 70 millimeter. And actually the Blu-ray didn't even come with that version. No. Which I... For some stupid fucking reason. I was kind of waiting for, like, you know, the special edition to come out or something, but maybe maybe in 10 years or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's weird. Why why wouldn't it come out with, with that version? I know. I know. You know, Tarantino's a little weird like that sometimes, you know? I don't know. Is that up to him or is that up to the Weinsteins? That's a good question. I'm okay. It's probably one of those things where he's such a big director, excuse me, and has so much control of his movies that uh, he probably has some say in how that goes. But like distribution in general is left up, you know, to the companies on how they handle right. that. So like, you know, he might have given his opinion, and they might have said, "Okay, we'll take it into consideration," but then make their right. own decision at the end. Yeah, I don't even know do if it's up to the Weinstein's even. Do you think that he, if it was his decision, he, like, wants to keep, like, a, a certain print for himself? You know? I'm sure he like, kept a print. For his private, yeah. Yeah. But, like, that specific what version? Uh, I bet if he could get it shown and monetize it, they would have it. Like, on his own? Yeah. I don't, I mean. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, I would enjoy it. I think all three of us would enjoy it. On a Blu-ray. Yeah. But also, it would look kind of weird, too, because it's that so wide, you know, on a mm-hmm. small screen. And, like, I don't know, man. I don't. I honestly don't know if there was a plan to, like, to do a special edition, like Byron said, or, like, if they're trying to, or if they were trying to release it as two and they just didn't get enough right. money to try and to I, actually follow through with it. It's funny. I can actually imagine being like 60 years old or something like that and then them come out with like you know the lost tarantino <laughs> roadshow version of the yeah. hateful eight found in his apartment when he died finally available or not as you know his, right. his his mansion or whatever um you know finally yeah. available for the first time since the roadshow in 2014 or whatever 2013 whenever the movie came out you know like i could just i i kind of picture that you know, happening. I can also, yeah. I can also see it comes with it comes with Kill Bill, like the, the whole bloody yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I could also see them in a couple years being like, "Let's do another road show or let's do another showing." Yeah, and just holding it on was to successful. it. Successful. Yeah. Like I think they were surprised on how successful people wanted to go out and watch a fucking film. You know, and, like a real film shot yeah. on, you know, projected on this, you know, thing. And it would have been more successful had he not released it around Star Wars. Right. So yeah. I wonder if I, it could be the case that they're just holding on to it just to build up the tension and being like, boom, 
you know, Tarantino, or, or maybe it's like this is Tarantino's tenth and final film coming out. Watch the Hateful Eight and the Roadshow right, while yeah, you're at it yeah, or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like riding the coattails in a certain way. I still think it's weird that right. such a little film yeah. like Star Wars would make such an impact. I know, right? I know that was that was like no one could have guessed. Yeah, that. you would think like, Tarantino no like, would watch it. Weird. I was like, what? Uh, like, yeah. Do you think Tarantino saw it? <laughs> <laughs> he's into the small. I kind of wonder if he's. If he saw it, or if he I was like a bitter, he probably I bet he did. did. He probably did. Probably. He watches everything. Dude, I, I feel like he's into Star Wars. No, I know, but he, I just wondered if that know? specific one, if he was bitter about the fact that, especially like oh. with how like it got his film got kicked out of yeah. that one theater or whatever. I know. Like, yeah. I almost wonder if it was a spiteful thing, but he probably watched it. I wonder if he's more of a Trekkie oh, totally or a Star it. Wars guy. <laughs> like he's, I'm, he's you know, a Trekkie. Like, he strikes me as a Trekkie. I, he he kind of strikes me more as a Trekkie too. Yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think he's a He's trick. too much yeah. of a nerd. I, I picture him, like... Yeah. I picture him, like, just having, like, heated discussions with Lucas, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, like he's like, Lucas, fix your fucking neck and your chin or whatever. And then, you know, right. Lucas no, is... No, his like, beard. Yeah, yeah, cut, yeah. Yeah, don't cut your beard so short on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you look ridiculous. <laughs> he does. He looks so crazy. And then yeah. Lucas is like, shut up. You need to chisel, uh, <laughs> cut some cut some of your jaw off. Or, yeah. yeah. They're shut like, up and try and make as much money just like, that I can in a second. <laughs> they're just like <laughs> dissing on each other, like physically, just like... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I imagine. It's stupid, but... <laughs> <laughs> so uh this film's interesting also because if you kind of look at his casting and then his story and his set like where this where the film takes place it's kind of like he's coming full circle because it's really harkens back to reservoir dogs with like tim roth the, you know the uh the the single room like story like there's not like all the characters don't transfer over yeah, obviously yeah. right and like samuel jackson kind of came after that but like there's sort of like you can kind of feel like he's kind of bringing back people like i wouldn't be surprised if you see like you know harvey Keitel in one of his movies yeah, here coming yeah. up like i i can't think of too many movies Keitel's been in i mean he was in grand budapest i guess so he's been in movies yeah, recently right but like and stuff but not like yeah but i yeah. wonder if it's that time where it's like not, not really recent yeah, yeah let's let's bring him back in you know like you kind of see this like movement back like you know because like it's kind of almost a it's like a metaphor for filmmaking overall because like what the way movies work generally and what we like in movies is that it'll start in one place and it'll end in a different place but the film feels like it kind of came full circle yeah uh it's like a it's yeah a, the, the button up feeling. right exactly yeah. it's a it's a form of storytelling that we like as audiences because it, it has a certain feeling to it right like it's just like the film you kind of want the film to mirror itself so like his like way he's kind of and i don't know if this was intentional but the way his filmography is kind of built is sort of like that almost, yeah no you know yeah I mean? you're right yeah um I, I, yeah sure. i have that same kind of feeling especially when i watched it you know like oh you know i don't know like almost kind of like a little dogs. bit of a family reunion you know yeah it's like it's 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 <laughs> yeah tarantino older making reservoir dogs again almost, yeah, you know yeah. What i mean like Essentially, yeah, um, while watching the thing every night or something, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <for> real. <laughs> yeah, for real, yeah, because he used the score from the thing for this movie, yeah. Did you guys touch on that already? No, no. but no, actually, we didn't. We actually didn't touch on Inu Morricone. This is the first, this is the first this film, is the, the first time he's worked with him, but not the well, first second. time he's used his, 
It's the second time that he's worked with Inyo because Inyo did one song, an original song for Django. Oh, but this I is thought the, he just used it. Never but mind. yeah, but this is but he did use a whole bunch of Inyo Morricone music for Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards. And it's special because Inyo Morricone basically never wanted to work with Tarantino initially because yeah. he was against how Tarantino used music. He like Tarantino never like yeah. he was saying that Tarantino never gave enough time. And for music, he would cut it weirdly and like yeah. just throw shit in. And you know, Morricone's like yeah. a composer. He wants yeah, to build yeah. the music around the scene and have the 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 music match the scene and the length of the scene and all that stuff. Like, it's it's right. interesting that he's no no jarring cuts. Right, and, exactly. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. cool because like the Hateful Eight has a different feel because the entire score is original. Right, exactly. the entire score is original. So it it, it gives the movie a completely different feeling because there isn't like a pop song in it there right. isn't like um right there aren't like those interesting cuts and stuff which i actually really like about tarantino's films because they do feel differently because there's different moods going in and out in and out of the film whereas this mm. one had more of a rolling had a more of a kind of like build up you know yeah feel to it you would hear the same kind of piece of the music over and over again yep. um it was a composer making a music for a film yeah like, yeah when you look yeah. at the film you have you have that typical plot where it's like there's an inciting incident build up build up build up climax down to resolution yeah. like a, a music may mirrors that right yeah. it starts in one place yeah and when it hits the climax it's like rumbling and it's loud and it's eventful and it gets your blood going yeah and then it, you know it so like as a composer for film, you can feel him trying to build for that. You know, I mean, it's just kind of cool because, like, yeah. on all of his films, he just used other people's scores from other films and just pop songs and stuff. And then he did Kill Bill, and then the you know RZA did some original music, just you know yeah, a little yeah. bit. And then Inglorious Bastards, I don't think had any original music in it, as well as mm-hmm. Death Proof. There's, I think it was all you know just adopted scores. And then Kill Bill. Or uh, Django had all had a mix. Had yeah, it had like just a mm-hmm. few. Um, uh, Rick Ross made that song, uh, that rap song for Tarantino, um, uh, Frank Ocean, and the other. There's another lady. There's a lady that did one, and then Andrew Morricone yeah. is that his song. Um, it had that yeah that that combo combination. Of, um, and then this one it builds up to the full. So it's kind yeah. of, you can see a, a progression, exactly. yeah. which I'm kind of curious. I wonder if his next film, if it's going to be another collage or a mix or whatever, or if it's going to be like all original or all non-original or well, no score at all. <laughs> correct me. Yeah, no score. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't... So it was like the score to the thing. And didn't he just... Didn't he just pull from like the original like composition that was made for the thing, but was thrown out because John Carpenter wanted to like use the same song over and over again? Yeah, that's what I. That's kind of what I read. I think is is right. that the, John Carpenter didn't want didn't like the entire score that was made, so yes. he he wanted a particular part, like you said, and then Inyo, right. I think used most of the score i think was has had never been heard used or in used like before and or heard yeah, yeah. and yeah. then they, they he formulated it. i think he tweaked some stuff cuz he i think he sent over 
uh, okay, parts yeah. to Tarantino. Tarantino's like, oh, this is this will work. This will work. And then um, Ennio Morricone moved from there, and then they worked. I think he flew over yeah, to gotcha. Italy a couple times, to, uh, met up with yeah, Morricone, yeah. and kind of supervised not supervised but kind of was like yeah yeah i approve you know yeah and then right yeah and then so so (laughs) so kind of in a way it's like he he was still sort of like using other people's music right which is kind of cool like it's like this weird mix of like this is like his his music that that he created like for uh the movie but also it's like it's a callback to the thing and it's and it's like um and it's completely new and it's used, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, so yeah. I don't know it's like this weird <laughs> middle ground between like things that he is doing and things that or things that he's done before and you know something that's like totally fresh and unique that has never as far as I'm concerned hasn't ever happened in film history like when what was the last movie that used like the or, old scores of of some other film that never made it into the cut yeah and then like re like worked on it you know like i mean the only thing i can think of is like uh pirates of the caribbean where they use clips of the original hans zimmer score and then fed off of that you know with a different with a different composer but then still credited hans zimmer as the main title theme by hans zimmer music by so-and-so or whatever so it but it's so weird because it's like not even part of the same franchise. It's like a totally different movie altogether. Yeah. So yeah. it just I don't know. It's such a besides Kurt Russell. So odd. But cool. <laughs> besides Kurt Russell, yeah, he's the he's the sequel. This is the Kurt Russell sequel. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely would love to talk about the thing at some point though, because that movie's like the production and the special effects for that movie are fucking bonkers dude like really insane special effects oh man i think that'd be a crazy conversation to yeah have. we should watch that it's also just yeah, an incredible movie like the thing really is it's awesome movie. it's a oh yeah great genre yeah, film it's amazing. i love the music the yeah the idea the concept is fantastic you like the one track yeah yeah like i, yeah. I think, it, I think, I think it i think it works really well for that movie like, yeah carpenter knew what he was doing uh so kind of touched on this but we didn't talk about it yet so this film had it uh it's besides the controversy with the script this film also had another controversy with the martin guitar oh yeah so, uh, <laughs> that's right about that basically what happened was the guitar that kurt russell broke there was some sort of miscommunication <laughs> and we don't no one really knows as far as i know it's kind of kept fairly low-key like what exactly happened like if the prop master was at fault if tarantino was at fault if no one told kurt russell what the plan was basically what happened was is that he was supposed the the guitar that jennifer jason lee plays is a real vintage martin guitar from like i I can't remember i don't want to i can't i don't speculate on the age it's very old and she plays it and then gives it to Kurt Russell, and he or he pulls it out of her hand and then breaks it. So what was supposed to happen was it was supposed to be replaced with a dummy guitar that was supposed to be broken, except they that didn't happen and they broke the actual guitar. <laughs> um, and so that so her reaction is the reaction to having the guitar broken. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and wondering if they're supposed to stop shooting. That's why a lot of people were wondering why her reaction was so weird. And rewatching it this time around, I definitely like thought 
Yeah, her reaction is super bizarre. Yeah. It's like the It seems weird. It's like the DiCaprio hitting himself in Django. It's and, like that yeah, equivalent yeah. Exactly. you know for this. And then like yeah. Schul- you know, like you said, where Christoph Waltz is like wondering like, wait, okay, yeah. I gotta stay in character, but like I, I gotta re- you know, react to like the realness of the scene too, right? So like Yeah. So yeah, her reaction is totally bizarre. And uh And it's weird because she like looks she like looks somewhere where it feels like she's not supposed to. Yeah, like, yeah. She like turns like to the left, and it feels like there shouldn't be anybody there. Like it looks like she's looking like at a crew member or something. Like, <laughs> the prop guy that's I'm, going I'm, like, yeah, yeah. She, she, exactly. <laughs> she's looking at Tarantino or the producer or the prop, someone behind the camera, right? And yeah, I heard now it's totally just a rumor, um, and I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember where I read this, but totally just a rumor. But someone who said they were working on the film said that uh, basically Tarantino was kind of off to the side, and he swears that Tarantino, when the guitar broke, that Tarantino had like the slightest of a smirk when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that's true or not, I don't know. Well, but... I mean, considering we are the TMZ of film podcast, yeah, right, yeah, 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 we are yeah we're all about the rumors. Well, I, right? I can see it because, like, I feel like. Well, A, the reason the cut of the actual guitar breaking is in there is because he cares so much about these things. Right, and exactly. if he can have, like, an antique break in his movie, he's keeping Of that. course. Yeah, yeah. You know of I mean? course. Like, he, he wants to be the guy that says, this is the antique guitar I used for my movie. But then here it's, like, to the next level of, like, and, uh, and we break Right. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I can see him smirking about that. Like I said. I can see it. We don't know, like, what the truth is, why it happened. <laughs> If he intentionally had it happen, then he's a douchebag because it, uh, Martin basically said they were never giving their guitars to filmmakers ever again. Oh, um, man. So that's really unfortunate yeah. because, like, that it kind of closes off, like, you know, certain filmmakers, like, want to use it for because they're making a music based film, you know? Yeah. Like, it's pretty sad that that's the case. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of is what it is i guess but basically yeah they he kind of ruined it for everyone um classic tarantino yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy was he thinking <laughs> such a new filmmaker doing weird things like that anyways. <laughs> those are crappy um so basically that's yeah. doc martin choose you have it wrong <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> My aunt works for them, so like, <laughs> shout we, out, I guess. Can, can we get sponsored? Can we sponsor? Yeah, yeah, yeah sponsor. I, I yeah, don't yeah. wear them, but uh, so the other thing. You're killing it, man! You're killing it. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to touch on too is uh, I don't think. Oh, you know what? This is wrong. I was gonna say there's no foot shot at all in this movie, but I'm now that I think about it, actually there is. Uh, when they're get when. All of them are coming out of the carriage when they're doing the flashback to when they're all showing up at Minnie's haberdashery and like the the gang is coming out of the carriage. Oh. It's all feet. I was like, there's no foot That's shot right. in this movie, but actually there is. Is uh, there a scene where some of the women in the haberdashery during the flashback scene? Are there any scenes of their, Were their footless? feet? No, I don't think barefoot so. Barefoot or so- like with the, socks or something? The lady on the on the ladder who's getting the candy? Yeah. Does she have shoes on? Crap. I, I feel like she has shoes on. Yeah. I think so. 
I'm just thinking it's like, you know, it's so hard for me to imagine a Tarantino film without at least yeah. one bear or semi-bear woman's I, I foot. Some, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think I wasn't really paying attention to that because I couldn't get past the douchey pretentiousness of this movie. <laughs> uh, okay, let's just go right. Oh, let's go right into the review. Oh, just with there. Re- it's review time. Wait, it's just review time. Let's do it. All right. Why is it douchey and pretentious? I don't know, man. It's just. I don't know. The, the, I like the thing's score, but it doesn't work with the movie to me. For me, and uh, the first half of the movie, like nothing happens. It's like, really slow. Like, the first half is really it's, slow. It's so slow, and then it picks up like on the second half. But like, I'm just I'm thinking like, there's too many characters here. There's too many people to keep track of. There's like it's moving terribly slow, and like there's like there's like little hints here and there that something's wrong. But it's like you never get enough to like know that something is wrong. So then when that happens at the when like the the coffee gets poisoned, it's like, oh, finally something's happening. You know, like it doesn't build the tension that I I think that he's going for. Like I think he's going for this way like more tense first act with like Samuel L. Jackson's character, but it, he just I just don't think he accomplishes it. There's too much backstory in the beginning. I certainly think that that bogs it down, and I definitely think that like you know when you're stuck in one room. Like, excuse me, you're really trying to, like, build the tension between the characters, right? Like, the danger and the stakes are between the characters and them disagreeing. And I mm-hmm. definitely think that that was not as strong as it could be. Like, in other films where it's, you know, where it's uh, people, one, a bunch of people in one room. Uh, I, I, right. I definitely got that feeling, too, where he could have somehow... Like, with them talking so much, I think that kind of bogged down the tension. You know, like, there was not enough action going on. If that makes sense. Like, and, like, really, for me, where it picks up is, like, even the coffee thing was kind of like, you know, when they're puking blood, yeah, the music kind of starts picking up. There's more action. But, like, really, where I think it started picking up and where it became more interesting is when Samuel L. Jackson's character finally starts to, like, antagonize some people. I really like that. And then, like, post... Because, like, uh, if I remember correctly, which happened before the coffee thing. Um, but, uh, anyway, it, the coffee thing happens, right? And then they all puke, and then it goes into intermission, and then it comes back with the recap, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. Remember how that goes? Yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah, after after that point... Like, the puking thing was kind of, you know, helping build the tension a little bit. But, like, yeah, definitely when it's finally, like, he takes command and he's, like, having people stand against the wall and guns are out. That's when it, like, like, it takes too long for the, like, guns are drawn in the movie, right, in the (laughs) beginning. But it kind of takes too long for the real guns to get out and for the real, like, shit, someone's going to get shot and have half their face blown off because it's a Tarantino movie, you know, like, that type of thing, like... Right. I definitely agree. I just, I wish that um, we knew, like, what Samuel L. Jackson's character was thinking in the first half. Like, I wish we could, like, like, because he looks down and he sees the little skittle, you know? And I, like, I so badly just, like, if, if, if we could just 
kind of experience the movie from his perspective. I mean, there's a thousand different ways you could do it, and I'm sure they're all wrong, and that I'm totally wrong, because that's probably, you know, that's why Tarantino is like a master, and I'm just some asshole into the <laughs> podcast, you know? Uh, but, um, I don't know, it just, it seems like if if we knew, like, what he, what Samuel L. Jackson was thinking, or um, you know, when he's going around, like, sniffing everything, you yeah, know, yeah. trying to figure out, like, what's going on in the first half, because that it was like such a surprise for me that he was even paying enough attention to everybody when, when he reveals yeah. that in the second half. It's like, and it's like, Oh, he was watching the whole time and he thought something was up the entire time. Right. I didn't get that sense at all in the first Because half. it's too short. Like that part we were talking about where he sees the little, whatever it is on the ground, the candy on the ground, it happens so fast and then they don't do anything with it for a while. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you just kind of forget about it. I think this is the first time that Tarantino has kind of run into an issue with the genre mashup because he doesn't, it's like a mystery mashup, but he doesn't commit to the mystery fully no. yeah. as much as I think he could have. Right. He definitely right. could have made it because he kept saying before it came out, it's like a Agatha Christie Western, but it like it was, but it wasn't. I, I was expecting more Agatha Christie yeah. in it. And like in the barn, he kind of is feeling it out. And, and if if you rewatch it, you kind of get the vibe. Like in the barn, when he's talking to the Mexican Bob or whatever, yeah, yeah. he's uh, yeah, feeling Bob. it out. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, you yeah. you work for me. Yeah, you're. You know, he's like, are you calling me a liar? Not yet. You know, yeah, he's, yeah, he's feeling yeah. it out, right? And then he sees the little like I think it's a jelly bean or whatever on the ground, <laughs> yeah. and like. You know, he's kind of being the detective, but I definitely, like, like I love mysteries. So, like, I, I wanted that, too. I wanted more, like, give me more of the detective yeah, stuff, yeah, you yeah. know? Like, I want to see him figuring out the clues, you know? And then he finally, you know, you get, the, you get that detective reveal where he's like, I saw this, I saw this, I saw this. This is why these are all wrong. But it seemed a little bit of a like, cop-out because yeah. he, it's all of a sudden he just has it all figured has out. Has it all figured out, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whereas, like, I wanted to see him work at it a little bit more. Exactly. And I think that's what's, like, what's interesting with, like, Sherlock and some of these shows mm-hmm. that deal with this type of thing where yeah. it's, like, you see them work it out. Even if you're not completely following his strain of thought, at least you're seeing them do it. And then when you rewatch it or when, it, when the reveal comes out, you're like, oh, my God when he saw this he did this and he must have thought like this whereas this it was like right. he saw a few things and then all of a sudden he has it and we're like well okay we see how you got right. there but we wanted to see you kind of go through that process with right. you, yeah. you know part of a mystery yeah. film is that there's enough pieces in the film or a mystery story in general is that there's enough pieces for that in theory you could put everything together yourself yeah. whereas this he doesn't give enough for you to necessarily put it all together like yeah. you can't say like you know, like the thing about Agatha Christie in particular is that you know her reveals are like so like, holy shit! Like <laughs> you threw it. You, I figure I, I was following you, but you threw it all on his head. Right, so like it's, yeah. it's like you know I I, I don't want to spoil her, her stories in case anyone hasn't like read it because they're they're super fucking awesome. Like how they but like I can definitely feel like him touching on it, but he just doesn't give enough for that right. reveal to be like. So everyone's in on this. Holy shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, like you know yeah. what I mean? Like. Right, that type right. of thing, and then the, and then the whole like Channing Tatum in the basement, which was out of nowhere. Like you, there was nothing to connect that said, "Oh, I can see this." There, like you don't even see a trap door to say that there is a basement. Like, yeah, what? Right. I feel, I feel like some of these things might be a little feel weird to us, maybe because of the rewrite. 
Maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe, like yeah. maybe in the original version, these things actually kind of fit together a little bit better because it was more, he came to those reveals more organically. Whereas when it was leaked and now he feels like, okay, crap, like what can I, I have to change this. Like what can I do to change it and still make sense? You know, and then he does what he does, but it's still, you know, it's a, it's a rewrite that isn't necessarily part of the organic creative process that he normally goes through, you know? Right. It makes so, me right. wish, like, we have the film, let's see it as a novel. I wonder how it would play out as a yeah. novel. Because, like, the, the, the stories, the two, the two Agatha Christie's, and I, I haven't read a lot of Christie's, so there could be others, but the yeah, two that either. come to mind for me are... Murder on the Orient Express, and and then there were none. Those are the two I feel like if he did draw from Christie, he was drawing from those two specifically, uh, just because of like the 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 especially and there were none is one setting a bunch of characters, and then the way that Orient Express ends, uh, like I think. Oh, shit, I don't know where I was going with this. Uh, but, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I think seeing it as, like, a novel would be kind of interesting because, yeah, like, with And There Were None, like, it starts with ten characters and then it ends with, like, they all die, right? So, like, <laughs> sorry, I spoiled mm-hmm. that. But it, that, doesn't, <gasps> that, doesn't, that doesn't affect the real, the real outcome of that story, the real reveal. Um, um, yeah. So, like you have time to like learn about these characters a little bit more like the way they talk to each other is like i've seen you before oh yeah i was doing this thing back in the day i was like oh that makes sense okay i was doing this back in the day it's like there's like this weird like dialogue here with all the characters right we're in a film like this like you could tell he was doing Mm -hmm. that but in a novel you have more space to leave little clues for things um and so like where you know like if this film maybe had another like 20 minutes maybe he could have dropped in those little reviews or maybe 10 minutes he could yeah. have dropped in those reveals but like yeah. it just, it just wasn't <laughs> yeah if he added time to this yeah <laughs> how many times do you say that where you need to add time to a movie right this yeah this two hour and 45 minute movie could have been longer or chop out chop added. out the beginning and then add in stuff it's a little like, shorter than Django right or is it longer than Django it's longer than Django okay yeah, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was. But also, let's talk about Django. I said this before, I think when we talked about Kill Bill or something or maybe it was Death Proof or something, but I had watched Django kind of quickly as we were still watching these movies and uh I still think Django is my favorite movie he's done, dude. I think it's my favorite Tarantino. It's just I just it makes sense, dude. I love It's really good. Yeah, and it's super racist, you know, so like I'm totally on board with that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Clearly, I'm just kidding with that one. Um, no, but like, I, I just, I don't know. I like, I like the vibe of the movie. I like the characters. I really like Schultz. I almost, I mean, between Schultz and Londa, it's kind of a toss-up for which one's my favorite one. Like, Londa for me. Like, he's, he's, yeah, he's such a bastard. He's just like, like he's so perfect. Yeah, he's such like yeah. a weird character that you don't like but you love you but know I love like schultz's purity yeah. like yeah, yeah and like oh i know, yeah, you know like, awesome. yeah There's something and about him you like, just see his like crumpled up dead body yeah. in the thing you're like oh my god like, like he's yeah totally yeah. yeah like he's pure right but like you don't and then he, he but yeah, has, he's a bounty hunter yeah yeah yeah. he's bounty hunter and he's like he's killing people but like you're with him but because yeah, the you people are bad you like and his then, moral like, standpoint and the problem with pure characters mm-hmm. is like you you can run you can you hit that line too where it's like it could be too melodramatic right where right. he's perfectly good perfectly lawful good and Schultz is like that 
and then you finally see his one flaw where he's like I just can't give you that. Yeah. And he f- kills him. But and it's like, yeah, yeah, there yeah. it is. He's not totally a melodramatic character. He's like, there is something yeah. about him. He, he's, a tra- he's, he's, it's tragic. Yeah, it's tragic. Like shit. his flaw yeah. leads yeah. to his death, but that flaw, you can't help but applaud him exactly. for that. You're like, because he's doing what DiCaprio did was so against what he what he stood for exactly. that he right. sacrifices himself giving Fox yep. you know or you know Django that chance mm-hmm. and it wor- it yeah. works barely but yeah but he <laughs> barely. but he had yeah. he had faith in that that yep. that that German fairy tale story yep. you know and I'm like oh that's yeah. it's, it, it's it's really actually touching it is super like, touching <laughs> like, I love that you guys are talking about character because I feel like most of the time like Byron, you're you're always about like mood right, and stuff. Right, and right. Keith, I feel like you're kind of about mood too, and it's kind of it's interesting that you guys found like a character <laughs> that you really connected with, and like how he like that character changed over the course of the story, and like how he ultimately came to this decision to do what he did. Yeah, no, I mean like you know, like that's cool. I like that you guys. are Well, it's it. funny because like Sweet. with Django, like I mean the movie's about Fox's character, right, Django, but yes. Like I like that whole idea behind the film, you know. The, like we talked about this earlier about you know a slave rising up, defeating the guys that have had him, you know, chained down. I like those stories too. Like yeah. it's great. Underdog However, stories, the person kinda. that I related to the most was Schultz. Yeah, you know. Well, that's because he's that's because he's the protagonist of the story. Like the the first or for the first half of the story at least, because he's the one who's in charge. He's making the decisions. Right. Django's kind of going along with him, but Django's not really the protagonist until, um, really until Schultz dies. Yeah, because really, Django's just kind of is kind of along for the ride, and and it's and it's Schultz who's making decisions. And then when Schultz, I think that's why his death is so tragic too, because yeah. he's the main character. Also, the they way like they play the his, character. the way they shoot his death too, where like he flies back into the books, and all the pages yeah. come fluttering out, yeah. and it's like yeah. it's like this like. Yeah. Almost like confetti, but like more like not yeah. not so partyish, right? It's more serious than yeah. confetti. Right. It's like there's there's right. something very um, what's the word? Uh, it's like nonchalant. Yeah, not it, well, not nonchalant, but like a, like the spectacle of his death, right? Like you need to shot yeah. by a shotgun, you don't get blown back. Well, you, you maybe you might, but not in the not in the extreme not, sense yeah, that yeah, yeah. happens to him, where he's blown back into the bookcase and like yeah. he's. Yeah, all this shit's flying around in the room, and like he's just you know, it's like it's a spectacle of death. Like it's it's so interesting. (laughs) And then he's killed by the sidekick, the one-off motherfucker who's like, no one gives a shit about him. I really like that. Like it's not Candy that kills him. It's not. It's just the dude with the fucking shotgun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the shotgun guy. And then it's also contrasted too with like the way he kills. DiCaprio is like he just shoots him in the heart one shot boom dentist killed the candy dentist killed the cavity he killed the issue that's it done right and then like but his death is I like love that I know it's, <laughs> it's so it's pretty awesome it's awesome it's super awesome and then like but it's contrasted right like he kills candy like that it's pretty it's like whatever he died fuck cool the bad yeah, guy yeah. finally died and Schultz died yeah. it's like you know like Schultz is dead you know like I don't know it's it's like you said, it's tragic. You feel... Because I think in a lot of ways, like, because Schultz is so pure, like, we all kind of want to be him. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, no. we want to be that person yeah. that helps yeah. the underdog. 
we want to be the person that saves all the slaves, right? When we look back at the Civil War, we want to be the people that freed all the slaves. Like, we were always going to do right by people. And we were, you know, like... But it's awesome it's, because what's right. what I like about this movie is that Schultz gives Django the tools and the skill set to do the job. However... He could have done like he he's not necessarily needed to get the job done. If that makes sense, like like Jamie Fox had or Django has to find it for himself to complete the job. Yeah, right. and and yeah. that gives his character the um because it's not the white man helping the black guy go out you know take revenge. Like it's it really at the end the, the you know that black slave ends up taking ownership of everything and, and does the job that he was meant to do. Like, and along the way, he feels independent. Right, right, right. Like, he's not... I mean, you know, the the, the, yeah. the scenario... He's got that freedom. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the scenario they build is like, you know, I, I'm gonna... Schultz says, like, I'm gonna keep you my, quote, slave for a little while, and I'll give you your freedom at the end. But, like, he's never his slave, right? He's right. teaching him. He's, yeah. he's giving him, like you said, the tools to become this person. And Django is like making decisions for himself right like in the mandingo scene he's making decisions for himself he's making decisions as the black slaver uh you know and and, and antagonizing the white people and kind of playing around with that like he's he is Django. yeah, he is yeah. the main character of the movie yeah. it's like it is you know mm-hmm. or he's the namesake of the movie maybe instead of the main character he's the namesake um i th- i also think we have to talk about to me maybe samuel jackson's finest role oh yeah like no, I think it's maybe, I I think it's his best char- like character work, like as a character. It's so good, like, so it's good, awesome, and it's super cool. And it's something that, like, I never would have thought had existed until I saw this movie. And then I was like, oh yeah, of course there were black people who were like above who hated other black yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, way, yeah, yeah. You know, for sure. I, like I never that never went in my tiny brain. I don't dis- <laughs> until this movie. I don't disagree with you guys. I think I think his role in this movie is exceptional the way he plays it out. Yeah. Because he's not right. a rickety old man, right? And actually He's a character faking being a rickety old man yeah, in the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. He's actually yeah. not rickety, and he talks just <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, right. But when you think of Samuel L. Jackson as a Tarantino character, I don't think this is the one you think of. I think Jules Winfield. I th- people is, think of Jules, yeah, is the Tarantino right. Samuel L. Jackson. Well, though. yeah, for sure. But that's in like the pop of Tarantino. But as far as like Perf- the like how the acting like his acting yeah just his acting I haven't seen enough Jackson movies, really see though. it in this because like Samuel Jackson right okay what makes Jules such a iconic Samuel Jackson Tarantino character is the dialogue and what he says right. like, all the cool dialogue yeah. which, which isn't really the yeah acting. no I mean exactly, it is because yeah. they play yeah, it but, but you like, don't have to like you know the writer has a huge part Jules's yeah. character doesn't demand a great performance. Whereas, yes. whereas, because I don't know if you can say that. Well, because because his dialogue is really what really makes right. um, that it's, per, that, it's per, that performance great. It's you know what yeah. I mean. Like due to the dialogue, Samuel Jackson knows how to really act those certain right. scenes. I think it it still requires a good performance, but right. the Django performance. From Samuel Jackson required way more than yeah. what Jules. Not only like does the dialogue tell you what the character is, but 
yeah. you also have to bring in a physical performance, you know, yeah. and the way he does his chin, he just his chin out and they do, they did some makeup on his cheeks and yeah, like super. Physical. Yeah. And then like yeah. he's crouched down. I mean, Samuel Jackson's a tall motherfucker. And he's like <laughs> bent down, you know, like. I had to do it the way. You'll have a I had, yeah, I had, to, I, <laughs> I had to do it the way he would say it. Um, but like, but yeah, I mean, that's just that's just my opinion on on Samuel Jackson. I mean, he's in a lot of good movies. I liked his performance yeah. in um, The King's Men and stuff. But is it like a a award worthy? A applause worthy yeah. performance it Oscar like, performance? Yeah. it's not a it's not a <laughs> epic <laughs> epic it's not a Nick Burn. Fury performance for sure yeah, yeah I feel like he's terrible in the Avengers man right. I can't take him seriously I, I haven't seen a movie with him where he brings the physicality that he brings to no. the role that he plays in I don't, like, I don't I just, disagree I haven't seen it. I don't disagree I think he yeah, I can't imagine a different another person playing this character, and he definitely took it up a notch. And you could see, like I said, you could see the difference between him playing the rickety old man, and you can see him playing his mm-hmm. smart fucking. You know he's the, he's he's really the brains to Calvin, really. Yeah, yeah. no, he is. Yeah, yeah. he's and running the show. You can see that he's yeah. running the show because they even show him literally signing the checks yeah. and faking the signatures. Because like DiCaprio, I mean, he's really about the Mandingo fighting. You he's know, a kid stuff in the like that. Land. He's exactly he's yeah. he's kind of the spoiled kid that's just yeah doing his thing, pre- pretending to be a French dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Monsieur Candy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I. I. I don't disagree. It's hard though, because like it's it's so hard to overshadow the Jules role, you know. Even with no, his, even yeah, with his yeah. other roles, you know. Like, so. oh yeah, I think I like the Jules character more. All encompassing, all encompassing. But as far as like acting technique, technique yeah. Like it, in my opinion, the performance from Samuel Jackson in Django is just like 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 way better like well it's just like way more impressive yeah, yeah. I think I think it's more impressive I, mean, I also really like the character of um what's his name in uh, Jackie Brown uh Ordell Roby Ordell yeah, oh, yeah. like I like I, yeah, yeah like I really like the that character as well but you didn't you don't get to hang out with him as much as you do um with you know the black slaver and I forget his name yeah. and um jules you know so right well the black slavers yeah he's a little bit harder to like oh, define. Was his name? like you said the black slaver yeah isn't that Django? from Django. yeah who are you talking about what, uh or the boss the black uh the samuel jackson what is he he's the he's the oh yeah uh, yeah he's he's, he's the, the he runs kind of the house and the caretaker what's his name in the movie um, uh not f- he's not a f- uh He's the he's the house. He's the like house, the, house, the. They call it yeah. There's a term for it in the movie that they use. House Carl. No, it's like it's. He says <laughs> he's no. Django says the you're a house n word or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. And he's like the head. Yeah. But he's also above that because he's like at the same level as like Candy is. Yeah. Or even above because he's running. He's, he's kind of running he's the got finances. The ear of Calvin. Yeah. Like he's. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember his name in the movie. Now, I know though. that's weird that I'm spacing God, out. Dang on it! That. I can picture the scene because DiCaprio shows up and he's like, "Okay, I, I what have is it. it? 
Steven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my there God. Go. Duh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Steven. <laughs> His name is Steven. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I knew it. It's something mundane. That's why I couldn't remember it. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, no, I think all the characters in Django are just a little, like, the characters in Hateful Eight are definitive. Like, you tell who each person is. But they're not as interesting as the ones in Django, I think. I think even, you know, down to the basic, like, like when Don Johnson's character is talking to, like, his, like, the, the black chick or whatever, and he's trying to get her to understand what he's saying. Like, even her character's interesting. Cause yeah, she, no, She's trying yeah. to, like, legitimately understand, you know. Yeah, she like, feel for her. Because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, because she can't comprehend, the, exactly. like, why is this guy in white guy's clothing sitting Riding on a, a horse? horse yeah. Like, you know, and he's like trying to be like, no, you don't treat him like white people, but he's like above like all the yeah, black yeah. people. And like, that's also another like thing confusing. that I liked about Django is that he does take he it's gutsy, but he does take the time to actually have some like some of the funniest um, comedy bits in any Tarantino movie. Like, like that the KKK scene yeah, 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 yeah. is it's that's like fucking like that's like that I mean that's genius because he said that that was uh, you know his homage to the. Um, uh, Blazing Saddles. That was the Blazing Saz- Saddles homage, you know, um, of Django. You know, because he's a big he's a big fan of um, uh, Gene Wilder and uh, uh, oh my god, the guy, the director, um, writer director of Blazing Saddles I'm and Frankenstein. Sure. Oh my god, <laughs> Spaceballs! Um, oh god, come oh on, god. Um, Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. All right. Okay. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, send an email to btbfilmspodcast at g- gmail.com. Uh, we're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. You can also visit our Facebook page, Back to Back Films, and join our group to uh, comment on or discuss this week's episode or any past episodes. Uh, those episodes can also be found at soundcloud.com slash pcbfilms. <laughs> the so, dad stuff won't stop. We're, we're so Okay, amateur. let's wrap it up. Oh, let me just throw in some fart sounds. <laughs> but, you know, wrap it up while you're... <laughs> wrap it up? I think he meant wrap it up as my diaper. Like... Yeah. B-Rang needs to be changed. <laughs> Ironically, well, never mind. I won't bring that up. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, too. God damn it. God damn it. God. I literally got halfway through the spiel before something happened. Uh, Jesus Christ. It's good to be back. This back is, to back. This is what we spend our, our fucking evenings doing. Whoa. We are back to the back to back. Is it is it good to be back to back, Keith? Better than being front to front, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know what you guys were doing before I came I on the podcast, dying. but I'm excited to listen. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner. He can be found at skinnyproducing.com. Skinner. <laughs> I knew those coming. Next week, we'll be covering the original Evil Dead and the recent remake, which we did not get to do uh, earlier like we had planned. We planned to kind of do it 
really early on when we started the podcast, um, but, you know, for reasons, we weren't able to do it. Um, our main topic will focus on film budgets, why they are so huge, how filmmakers get around budget constraints, um, and, you know, how money can influence the look of a movie, just stuff like that. Basically, why does the movie cost so much, uh, and why can some movies be made so cheaply? We'll kind of cover the spectrum. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, make sure you watch the films to be a part of the discussion. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Oh, and I think the reason why we didn't do the Evil Dead uh, podcast was because uh, Jacob actually had a uh, job interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a quote-unquote job interview. <laughs> there was no interview. <clears throat> oh, that comes out. <laughs> yeah. I played Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I think it was Zelda, wasn't it? At the time? It was, uh, yeah, it's it's Zelda. Zelda. <laughs> it's probably Zelda. It's always Zelda. Oh it's God. always Zelda. Oh, Sweet. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank All right. Bye. God damn. got on here we were talking we're like so are we gonna bring up the angel or are we gonna see and we we decided that we weren't gonna say anything about the angel to see if you were gonna say something or not